Well, hello and welcome to episode number 389 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. In this week's show, Ryanair have issues with tugging, the Russians deliberately fly into volcanic ash, one airline is offering mystery flights out of a vending machine, and we find out which airport in the UK is the most haunted. In the military news this week, Armando has supplied us with some great stories, as always, where the Marines land F-35s on Japanese ships in a demonstration of Allied capability. And also, the um, Air Force leader is pushing for new airborne early warning aircraft. And with me, sitting next to me in the PTUK Master Suite studios this week, as always, it is my co-host, Matt Smith. Well, hello. It's been a while since it's just been you and me. It has been a yeah, while since absolutely. it's just been you. Although we are being joined by Armando very soon, aren't we? So, yeah, Armando uh, yeah, is so uh, hes yeah. literally on the... We'll call it a freeway, because it's a freeway in the US. Right, yeah. okay. If you say Armando so. is on yeah. the freeway, and he's doing um, he's breaking all the speed limits. No, of um, course he's not. He's going to be with us no, soon. No, he, no, he's socially distanced. He's, um, <laughs> he's sticking to the whatever the speed limit is. I don't know. What is the speed limit in the, in the States? I literally don't know. He's socially distancing himself from the speed camera. Right. Hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So he will be with us. Armando will be with us about in around about fifteen twenty minutes time. So don't don't panic. He will be here. But so we've got loads to do uh, in the show. Actually, talk about in the show at the top of the show. Uh, but we are going to say a big hello first. Actually, to everyone who has joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Uh, loads of the usual family members in there going to run through using a different device this evening to uh, to do this bit. So uh, We've got uh, Richard Adams is in there this week. GB's Model Zone. Lee Davies is in there as well. Uh, we have got Captain Cruz. Hello to you. Tony S has also joined us. Masha's in there. Hello to you, Masha. Lovely to see you in there this evening. Um, just make sure I don't miss anyone. Neville Barnes is obviously keeping an eye to make sure we start on time. But here yeah, we, no, we, we tick that box. Yes. We tick that yeah. box. Uh, Armando's in the chat room as well because he's on his way here. Well, not here, but you know he's on his way to the show. Our main man, Uncle Micah, is also in the chat room wielding the blue spanner of doom. Oh, so yes. make sure you're all on your Everyone best behaviour. Yes, uh, Nick Codling, hello to you, Nick. Some great feedback. We had some Nick a few weeks ago. Mm. Very good, very good. Yes, actually, I'm, I'm away in two weeks' time. Perhaps we should like we'll get Nick. We'll get Nick back. <laughs> um, and also, we've got uh, Mazus Kareem. Hello to you, Mazus. Hope you are also well. And in, actually, Mazus, because he's only just down the road from me and you and it's been he is yeah i'm not gonna lie it's been rather damp here today has it uh, with rain yeah I don't know, i've been outside oh yeah been outside <laughs> raining. it's not been a great day here for weather dan- no, uh, arnie indeed. carlson hello to you arnie as well uh joining us this evening on the show and jonathan warner is also joining us this week so hello jonathan warner i actually spoke to jonathan today on the phone did you a good old chat with him and oh. also just dipping into the chat room there at Literally about one minute ago, uh, Tanya is also oh, in hello, the chat room. Tanya. Hello yeah. to you, Tanya. Uh, Uncle Micah is saying that apparently it varies from state to state, by the way. Uh, anywhere between 55 miles an hour and 80 miles an hour. On the East Coast, it's usually between 60 and 65 miles an hour. There you go. Oh, there you go. Now See? We know. See? Now we know. <laughs> so big thanks to all of you for joining us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Don't forget as well, if you are listening to this podcast as an audio podcast, which I do heavily myself, 
myself, lots of other podcasts of aviation uh, descriptions. Uh, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and the bell icon, which is right next door to it, to be notified when we're live and recording brand new shiny episodes like this. And we will just say we have missed you. We did miss you all last mm. week because uh, yeah. obviously we were all literally all doing something. Yes, this is um, a literally a perfect storm last week, which essentially meant oh. that there was... Well, the, the biggest problem was there was nobody available to operate the studio. That was essentially what the yeah. hiccup was there. Because uh, I was in the Cotswolds, uh, and I haven't quite mastered the whole remote operating of the studio yet. That's a work in progress. Myself and uh, John are working heavily on that to get that issue resolved. But uh, yeah, couldn't quite pull it together. So there we are. That's the first time. Uh, yeah, we were all having fun, Lee. I won't lie. I was, like, I was yeah. in the Cotswolds in my caravan, having a really nice time. Me and uh, me and the new star of Park Radio, Alfie, were, uh, <laughs> were having a lovely time in the, in the uh, caravan um, down uh, up in the Cotswolds, which is... A long old journey for us. So it was about five hours uh, with were the caravan on. Were you on a, on a, on a caravan site? Uh, of sorts. Uh, it listed itself as a caravan site. You're going to say it was a field. <laughs> it was basically a field where they, they mm. and I'm not even joking when I say this, and they ran power cables out from the house to the vans in oh. order for you to hook up. Which, which sounds horrendous, but actually Did you have a really L-San nice. point? What? An L-San point. Oh, and you I've, I've you no call idea. yourself a caravan? I have no idea. And you don't what know what an L sand point no, what, is. What's that? No. It's the place where you empty your um, oh your your refuse uh, yes thing right <laughs> okay no uh, is the is the thing so I had to bring that home with me and uh, do okay, it when I got okay. back in. Just but, I just thought I'd ask you know random questions. right okay that, uh, that was, was the, unexpected. How was the, uh, was the weather? <laughs> the weather actually was not bad. A couple of days were really nice, um, but uh, there was a lot of rain. Um, and before I went, my caravan had de- developed a bit of a leak, and we'd worked quite hard to get the leak oh, solved. Right, and okay. I'm deleted, delighted to say that it worked. So it was lovely and dry. Thank goodness for that. Hello to Puebla Champ, who's uh, just joined us in the chat room from Mexico. Oh, wow. Hello. Blimey. We are, we are global. Global, absolutely. Global. And Jenny. Jenny just popped in the chat room. Hello to you, well. Jenny. Yeah, Hello. there we go. Right, okay. But let's. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so we have got lot, we've got lots to get on. Armando's uh, joining us shortly, isn't he? Armando's joining yeah. shortly. Now, I've got a rant to get off my chest first. Oh, no. Because um, <laughs> we're get- as you know, I last get week, comfort. If you haven't got a beverage, go and get one. If you haven't got a beverage, yes, exactly. <laughs> last week, last week, as you all know, I I'm went, going to do a pip. I on. went. Uh, this will add to it. <laughs> this will add to the uh, last um, week. I was in Malta um, um, doing a few family-related things, um, and it was very good. It's a lovely week in Malta, anyway. My rant is about Stansted, London Stansted. Now, cast your minds back to last Tuesday morning when I arrived at Stansted for my flight with Jet 2 to uh, Luca Airport. And we uh, already had our um, pre-printed boarding tickets with the little um, barcode thing on. And you go into Stansted and you go, you put your, your barcode on the little reader thing. The yes. gates open up and you walk and through. Into, into security you go. Exactly. Yeah. You walk into security. So you walk into security where you go to where the, um, the little um, x-ray scanners are and the doors that beep when your pockets are full of watches and money <laughs> and stuff. Um, <laughs> You've been fl- fleecing the people in, in exactly, the department. Exactly. Right? Yeah, okay. so, so here we go. For, so for the chat room uh, here, a little, little uh, chat room security <clears throat> bingo. So out of 22, um, out of 22... Right, security checkpoints. Now, bear in mind, there was eight, I think there was eight or nine flights that were going out that morning um, around the time that we were flying out as well uh, from Stansted. Out of uh, 22 security checkpoints, how many 
do you think London stands had had open last oh, no. Tuesday morning? <laughs> Out of 22. <laughs> right. Let's see who gets it right from the chat room. Okay. Let's have a look. But anyway, so um, we were queuing up for quite a long time in this queue. And there was, there was three of you travelling. There was there? three of us travelling. We all got split up. So there's me, my father and my uncle. And we were all split up. All the, the points are coming in here. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> so Mash has gone with uh, two. Jonathan Warner has gone with two. Lee Davis has said zero. Very goodly. <laughs> Uh, Rich Adams said two. Arnie's Arnie's being really generous, saying three. Oh, uh, and Tony S is saying two. Well, I can t- I can tell you, that out of twenty two security checkpoints at Stansted, uh, there were two open that morning, and things degraded quite quickly, and people were getting rather frustrated. Yeah, I'm imagine. not going to lie, um, especially because a lot of people were flying at around the same time as us, which was eight a.m. Mm. Anyway, so I watched a couple duck under the barriers in front of me and scoot through the fast security oh, right. check lane. So I said, um, I said, excuse me, I said, uh, how did you do that? She said, oh, just go on the website, you can book a ticket, now it's seven quid, and you can go straight through this really? fast okay. So with the queue of a roundabout... So was there, so so the the two check, the, or, the, or the two checkpoints, for mm. want of a better word, were just in what I call like the cattle class area. Yes, right, yeah, okay. yeah. And they had one dedicated one, which was just for, for, the, for the fast priority, track. Yeah. Priority board. yeah. Okay. So I went on to um, on the stands, London stands, the website, and went to the security <laughs> fast track. Tony says they obviously didn't get the memo. Exactly, that you were Tony. Yeah. Exactly, Tony. And um, I literally paid my seven quid. Yeah. And got the email through straight away. Okay. Ducked under the barrier. Jumped the queue, right. held my phone up to a guy who was looking rather frustrated, yeah, the staff, yeah. and he just ushered me through. I went straight through security and uh, okay. was straight out into the departures area. So now, what, what, did your whole party do that, or did, did just you do that? Just me and my father. My right. uncle didn't okay. do it. Right. Um, okay. And so just just out of curiosity then, and forgive me for playing devil's advocate, because... Um, I mean, I, I normally rate Stansted in terms of the experience, mm. so I, I'm quite sort of disappointed to hear this story. And when I, it was a similar time that I was flying out to Dublin, uh, not Dublin, uh, to Belfast, sorry, out of Stansted, and it was, uh, I must admit, there were an awful lot more desks open then. And I, I'm intrigued to know. So the time that you got through to the departure, did you all meet in the departure lounge? Yeah, we got through the security eventually. Yeah. But yeah. that did leave us with just on an hour to okay. get to the gate. Which is all right, like you, if you've been at the airport, like, really, really super yeah. early. But I guess some yeah. people... Were, I mean, did anybody... Were, were anyone missing flights as yes. far as... Really? Left, right okay. and centre. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. To the extent that they had staff meeting various people in groups to try and get them sorted on rebooking flights. It was it was chaos, anyway. Chaos, absolute chaos. Um, contrast to arriving in Malta... Where they and Malta's a smaller airport, yeah, but we still had four flights arriving at the same time as us, right? Uh, Malta has 10 border control points, right, going in, okay, nine of those were open, wow, okay, uh, and there's only four flights, there's only four flights, yeah, okay. So, just, just out of morbid curiosity, then, uh, the, the time gap, so obviously, you and your dad went through fast track security, yes. and got straight through. How long was it before half an hour, really, yes. okay, all right, um. So that was that. So anyway, coming home on Friday. So last Friday we flew back from Luca back to Stansted. Uh, again, going through Luca, mm. and I'm I'm not being biased here just because I love the the place. But uh, Luca Airport again has uh, a bank of ten 
um, security checkpoints with the scanners and the doors and the beepy things and stuff. Right. And they were all open. Every right. single one was open. So everyone was, it was flowing through. There was no wait. You just walk straight through. Arrive at Stansted. Mm-hmm. Okay, after three hour flight, just under three hours. Yeah. And we got straight to the gate and got off the aircraft, had a chat with the crew, as I always do <laughs> every mm. time. And we get to Stansted. Before we got off the plane, the Jet 2 staff said, could everyone please head to the E gates? Right, so the, the electronic e gates, gates. The electronic okay, gates. Yeah, okay. And mm. at Stansted, they have 30 E gates. Oh, okay, right. That's so, quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is a lot. Yeah, 30 E gates. Now, how many E gates <laughs> out of 30? Now, bear in mind, there were three flights landed at the same time as us. There was an EasyJet, a Jet 2, which we were, and a Ryanair flight. And they were all, our flight was full, and I assume that the other two flights were fairly full. Right, okay. So we're talking in and around, what, three and a half, four hundred people? Right. So out of 30 E-gates, how many do you think were actually open, actually switched on? Bear in mind, they don't need staff technically to run an e gate. No, That's although you do, you do need one agent to oversee yeah. the sort of thing. I'm, I'm gonna guess. I'm go, again based on what you're saying. I, I'm going to guess that uh, the the amount of gates open depended essentially on how many staff they had available in terms of manning it. Because you can probably only have. I don't know what the ratio is. Perhaps you can only have one member of staff to three gates or something like that. So I'm going to say that there was one member of staff available and therefore three gates. Five E-gates. Five E-gates. Five E-gates. And okay. again, the queue was phenomenal. Really? Okay. <laughs> and again, people were getting rather frustrated. Right. Okay. And um, bear in mind, before we went to there, we had all this kerfuffle about having the P, the PF, uh, passenger lo- PLF, passenger the location, passenger location form, form. Yeah, form yeah. we flew back to the UK. And, uh, Neil was closest with four, by the way. Well done, yeah, Neil. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you were nearly there. Um, yeah, when we got back to the UK, um, they no one wanted to see the PLF. They couldn't care less. Right. Now that's that's a little <laughs> bit odd. I have to say that's a little bit odd. And I, I mean, I, th- I think I said um, when, when I came back from um, Belfast, I was genuinely very surprised because mm. um, I'm going to tell uh, I'm going to tell a naughty story here. I forgot my passport. Oh blimey! I did the classic, and we no. tur- and we turned round at. So we'd left um, <gasps> in good time, thank goodness. Oh, we'd God. left in good time, and I I turned round um, at um, uh, Roy Humphreys. That's how oh, far yeah. we got before yeah. I realised I hadn't got my passport. We turned round and went back and picked it up. And we went through all that, and because we were picking my uncle up as well, that was the worst bit. It wasn't, but it wasn't just me and my mum that that were being held up by this. As I say, and I did the classic where I forgot my passport. Oh blimey! Uh, it was. Uh, let's put it this way: I wasn't popular, uh, oh, <laughs> so I went blimey. back and picked it up. Anyway, it's the it's the um, most efficient I've ever driven. Let's let's <laughs> put it that way. Uh, it's the most efficient I've ever driven. And uh, when I got there, there was uh, not a single person. Asked to see my passport. Oh, blimey. The passport was in my pocket for both legs the whole time. Uh, no point did anybody ask to see it. Now, I know because we were flying into Belfast, obviously it's technically a domestic flight because mm. it is still the UK of sorts, isn't it? It's Northern mm. Ireland and all that kind of thing. Um, 
Yes. Uh, no, I know. I know, Nev. You don't need a passport to fly to uh, there, but it was one of the requirements of proof of identification that the airport uh, slash EasyJet wanted because that's who I was flying mm. with, and so that's why Nev doesn't around. fly with EasyJet. No, no, I know, I know, I know, and it was just like one of those. It was. Um. I mean, uh, I think ironically, if I'd have had my driving license in my pocket, I could have also done that. But ironically, that's still in my driving wallet that mm. I, I mean I haven't used. So, but I, uh, you think all that stress that I caused myself by turning around to go and get it and then I picked and, and then I didn't need it but then I suppose if I didn't have had if I hadn't have had it with me then somebody would have been asking me me for it but uh, there we go on so, reflection though yes to, to sum up I will just say this is the first time that I've flown with Jet 2 hmm. and I'm going to say that um, both the outbound and the inbound flight especially the inbound flight the crew were absolutely fantastic and I'll tell you what I've flown on a lot of different airlines around the world, and the flight deck crew um, on both flights were the most informative that I think I've ever had. They had we had regular updates on where we were, speed, height, temperature oh, really? outside, okay. everything. They were absolutely fantastic, and uh, and obviously I had the obligatory chat with the crew on the way home as well, oh, which really? was quite nice. <laughs> Um, so big, big hello to uh, big you hello must, to you if you if you're watching. You must be a nightmare. And, as a <laughs> you really no. must. Um, but they were absolutely really, they were really good, really good. The I mean the aircraft that we flew back on was um, 22 years old. Right. Okay. It, in fact, the the, the Boeing 737-800 that we flew mm. home on was so old it didn't have winglets. It was it was my goodness winglet-less, lossless. So, but anyway, it was good. Jets were really good. I can I can say that I agree with all the um, reports that we do on the sh- on the show in regards to Jet Two. They are very good, very um, efficient, and um, they do a nice toasted ham and cheese sandwich. Do they? Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> good to know. Yeah. Uh, well, there we anyway, go. so that's so, that's my rant over. I've ranted. You about have London Standard. Okay, lovely. Um, I must admit, I knew something was going on when I was seeing these various tweets from the PTUK <laughs> account going backwards and forwards. And I must admit, there were a couple of conversations between myself and producer John that were a bit like, "What's going on here? Oh, no. <laughs> Something's occurring." Well, right. But at least they replied. Yeah. Well, yeah, there mm. is that. There is that. There is anyway, that. so we've got loads to get on with on the show with news and stuff. Armando mm. will be joining us very soon, so don't panic. But uh, shall we start the commercial news, Matt? Yeah, see if I can remember how to do it. See if you can remember how to do it. It's yeah. been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> so uh, if uh, if we're all ready, Matt, yep. you yep. ready? Yes, I'm ready. Yeah. Everyone else ready? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's yep. go. Yeah. Kicking off this week's first news story, this one's on Flight Global, and uh, this is uh, a story actually regarding um, volcanic ash, because we've had a few stories in the past about aircraft flying through ash, it's not very good for engines, but... <laughs> oh. Sorry, I've got to interrupt. Neil Lamborn said, bring on, uh, bring on Jet 2, did you have your complimentary in-flight fight? <laughs> no, there was no fighting on board. 
Sorry. Okay, carry on. Just a crew trying to stop me from entering the flight. All <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, all. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this this story is fly, uh, flight global, and uh, the Russians have uh, built this uh, new engine to go on their MC twenty one aircraft, uh, the PD fourteen. So the Russia's United Engine has conducted volcanic ash ingestion tests. Uh, of the Avid Cattell PD-14 power plant uh, for the Urquhart MC-21. State technology firm Rostec says the tests using ash from the Shuvloch volcano in eastern Kamachtka are the first to have been carried out for a Russian-built engine. Uh, testing the or hot section of the air engine was carried out as part of the European Union Aviation Safety Agency uh, validation of the PD-14's type certificate, though the Central Institute of Aviation Motors. And the test showed that the aircraft's flight through the volcanic ash cloud did not result in undesirable consequences for the power plant, they said. Performance of the engine was not compromised, even if, with this aggr- uh, aggressive environment. And the Rostec Aviation Cluster Industrial Director Director Antoloy Serdorkov said the PD-14's thrust after one hour in the presence of ash practically did not decrease. After the bench testing, the engine sections were dismantled for inspection and Sordorkov says the absence of findings confirms the safety of operation during flight through ash or dust storms. Avocatel has used the analysis to draw up maintenance records and recommendations for the PD-14 equipped aircraft to exposed to such conditions. Now, it's always interesting, actually, when they do a test like this to deliberately um, fly through an ash cloud and try and destroy an engine. But I think it's one of those test flights that you'd rather not be on. Well, no, and then, of course, obviously it's under test conditions as yeah. well, isn't it? So there won't have been anyone other than flight engineers and goodness knows what else on there. I mean, this is a, the only problem with this story is it's like we know that in the main, flying through an ash cloud is not going to do any real harm to any aircraft and or engine. But there is always going to be... All it takes is a slightly larger piece doesn't it this mm. is the thing i mean there there are so many variables in a in a volcanic explosion that could dramatically change um you know the safety conditions of flying through it yeah. and i think that's more the issue i mean i don't think you know it, all engines will sustain a little bit of ingestion of something won't they i mean you know a lot of engines can happily ingest a bird and, well, we've seen, you know, that. Indeed, we've seen the videos on yeah, YouTube. Indeed, make a bit of a mess, but other than that, it, it, it's still okay. But that's not that's not the issue, is it? It's that one percent or that whatever the percent, zero point zero zero one percent, that is the reason why um, you know you, you avoid the area at all costs. One of the things that made me laugh about this story actually is because it's obviously a Russian-built uh, aircraft yeah. and a Russian engine as well, and we all know from from. You know, looking at the Russian-built aircraft like the Antonovs and the big cargo uh, aircraft, the 224, and all those Russian-built aircraft are normally built like tanks. You know, when they build, yeah. when they build these aircraft, I mean, some of the the, the bombers um, and the reconnaissance aircraft that the Russian Air Force use are older than yeah, me I, and you. Yeah, but aren't, 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 you. are they not? I mean. But surely the the overall makeup is not really that dissimilar to say like a 
uh, a Boeing seven four or a, or a seven eight, for example. I mean, no, no, surely they're, they're you know they're they're still they're made still of the same uh, just, sort of stuff. You know, it's just when you look when you see them, you know, they're, they've just been going for so long. I mean, they may yeah. they may leave massive black plumes of smoke behind them all right. the time, but not, not fantastic <laughs> for the environment. <laughs> not then. fantastic. No, but indeed. Not good. Okay. Anyway, Running on chip next fat, story, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, Ryanair story for you, Matt. Next, okay. and. Um, this this is great. There's some pictures to go with this that Matt will yes, pop up after indeed. the story, but yeah. it's only a short bit. So. Okay, yeah. So a very short story, this one. Uh, and the headline is Ryanair Boeing's 737-800 severely damaged during tugging at the maintenance apron of a, of a London Stansted Airport. Uh, a Ryanair Boeing 737-800 registration Echo India Delta Whiskey India was severely damaged during tugging at the maintenance apron, apron of London Stansted Airport in the UK. Parts of the lower belly were ripped off when the tug wedged itself underneath the aircraft. Nobody was injured during the mishap and it was reported that heavy rainfall caused the tug and subsequently the aircraft to start sliding slash slipping. Now uh, that's not a fantastic story is it? <laughs> let's be honest. So let's the, take a quick damage, look at these the photos Amazing. Here. Uh, obviously the, the links to this will be in the show notes so if you're listening to the audio version of the show you'll be able to take a look at yeah. the pictures as we credit, well. Uh, actually credit uh, these photos to Ivan Castro Palacios who uh, uh, put these Twitter, on Twitter. Absolutely. Yeah. Now uh, that, yeah that's, that's, that's wedged quite severely under there isn't yeah. it? That's not... Um, that's not so. So describe the these pictures. Uh, I mean, so you've got your your, your pushback um, pushback tug, and um, which normally sits underneath the the, the front uh, gear, and it, it's almost like he's sort of driven into the gear, but not stopped, and just right. wedged the front cab of the tug uh, truck under literally underneath um, the aircraft, and it's caused. Yeah, I mean, now, we're, looking, we're looking at a photo here that's that's punched quite a hole that in is... the underbelly. Now, would you say that's the front quarter of the? Um, well, it's nose? near it's near the static um, static port, which is on that that little round disc. It's okay. a static port on that what's, side. What's the static port for? Just to do curious. with the in, in, in instruments on the flight. Deck. Oh, okay, yeah. cool, right, yeah. Um, but it's 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 a big hole. I mean, not only that. <laughs> I mean, God, blimey, that picture there that Matt's yeah. now put on the screen. Um, I mean, it, there's a big hole, and it's, then there's another another hole, hole yeah, behind absolutely. that. I mean, yeah. th- they'll be repaired. There's no doubt about it. They'll repair this. Um, I mean, presumably, it's just a sort of like pop rivet, sort of cut out the bad bit, put yeah, in the new it, bit, repop it in, and the prop. The problem is test. when they repair these, they have to be quite rigorously retested yeah, and certified yeah, yeah, to fly absolutely. again. Um, yeah. but, I mean, presumably, that it's worth doing that though. Otherwise, they. You know, that, that it's it's not something like that which might write off yours or my car. Obviously, wouldn't yeah. write off an aircraft. No, I mean, you know? I don't think they'll write it off. But it's gonna there's gonna be yeah. one heck of an insurance. Do we know claim. how old it is that particular aircraft? Um, I didn't actually look uh, what uh, Whiskey India was. Mm. I'd imagine it's within ten year old. It's right, maybe okay. even younger than that. Okay, well, right. One yeah. of the, one of the one of the chat room will have a look. With okay. Echo India Delta Whiskey India. Was okay, the, uh, fair enough. Yeah. The, Somebody uh, get on that, please. Yeah. Oh, built in two thousand seven. <laughs> oh, built in two thousand. Wow. Well, oh, okay. thank you, thank you, Captain Cruz. So it's a my goodness, a few years old then. Yeah. It's a few years old, but they will, I think they will repair. I don't think they'll write it off. Not for. Yeah. I'll be surprised if they read it. Well, of course, it might. I mean, we don't know what's on the interior on those, but of course, they <laughs> might. They might have just updated it to the new Boeing. <laughs> is it the the Skyliner or whatever it is? Oh, the, Sky Interior. The Sky yeah, Interior, or, yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. So they they may well have done that, but but, um, but let's be fair here. Ryanair have got about ten million seven three seven eight hundreds, and yeah. um, 
that you know they're not going to miss probably miss one no phase. no that's true that so true. i can confirm we're now coming up to story three which is um uh, our mondo story and uh I'd like to welcome onto the show. No, all right, hang on, get your kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that efficient. Matt, Matt's going to bring you on the Zoom call here. Uh, but we'd like to welcome onto the show. He's uh, joining us all the way over from the glorious uh, US of A in Charlotte. So as soon as he's going to fire his microphone up and join us. <laughs> That's it. Just throw, just throw him straight under straight the bus. Under no the bus. messing. Like there's no, no need for that talk. I mean, we haven't had a t- chance to see what would what in an Ido world, Carlos. What would have happened here? <laughs> We'd have is a chat. That, is that you would carry on doing the next story while myself and Armando do some testing to make sure everything's okay. He'll be he'll be and his glorious. mic's on mute at the moment as well. So his that, audio will helping. be fantastic. As will always. it? Okay. All right then. Well, we'll challenge you on that, shall we? Hello, Armando. <laughs> Hi guys, it's always fantastic, right? <laughs> it is. You're a bit quiet. Let me just make some alterations here in the studio, and then Matt, Matt's we'll got to turn you up a little bit. There we go. Right, give that a try. All right, how's that? Okay, right that's, in the middle that's of the show. Bit, I love. There we go. This is a, you know live levels on air. There we go. Right, we'll give that a try. Hopefully, uh, we're all good. So you're just in time for story three. I'm afraid. <laughs> all right, this one's from FlyingMagazine.com, and I'll tell you what I've been up to. After the story. Okay, Yay. good plan. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> uh, this is the Department of Transportation Inspector General's office has actually cited several issues with maintenance at American Airlines. That resulted in some unworthy, unair, not unworthy aircraft, unairworthy aircraft. <laughs> uh, so according to the report that was released on Sunday, the Inspector General's office uh, was very critical of the FAA's relationship with the airline. Ooh, we saw this with Boeing, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, noting that the agency lacks sufficient oversight to determine whether the airline appropriately identifies, assesses, and mitigates aircraft maintenance risks. Uh, according to a statement from uh, the report, it says the FAA's oversight controls are not effective for evaluating if American Airlines safety management system sufficiently assesses and mitigates this risk. I think I just said that. <laughs> the FAA requires American Airlines to use its SMS to determine the level of risk associated with maintenance non-compliances. So among the issues documented was a jet that flew passengers for 877 days with a broken emergency evacuation slide. What? Ooh, that's not that's not great. That's not good. Um, oh man, that's not just a uh, well, you know that the pilots may have not known about it. So, look at me, always defending pilots. Um, <laughs> Somebody's got to. Somebody's got to. That's that's yeah, what right. we rely on you to do. <laughs> there uh, is the re- the rivalry will always continue between ops, maintenance, pilots, and unions. It's just it's the way the yeah. world goes round. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. In another instance, a jet flew for one thousand and two hours with missing engine bushings. That's not good. And improperly installed struts holding the engines. Uh, in place. Uh, the report found that, quote, the FAA inspectors did not routinely or consistently evaluate whether the carrier adequately or effectively assessed and rated these risks, in part because the FAA did not provide its inspectors with comprehensive training and tools for overseeing and evaluating this car- uh, the carrier's uh, safety management systems. Um, well, there you go. This is, uh, I'm going to jump in here and yeah. say that do you remember when the when the Max crashes first happened? Yeah, we learned of this unique relationship between the FAA and either manufacturers or airlines. Mm. 
Sometimes these relationships can get a little bit cozy and complacent. Um, is, and, it, is it a trust thing, though, Armando? I mean, one, one of the things that sort of jumps into my mind, really, when, when we read stories like this is like, you, I mean, it, it's very, I genuinely find it quite difficult to proportion blame because I guess uh, there's been such a good relationship between like the major manufacturers like Boeing and, and that kind of thing um, with in terms of, you know, safety and all that kind of thing. There's almost like this assumption that something wouldn't, be sort of like the airline wouldn't say that it was okay to fly unless they were really sure it was in a, in a good place i mean and is this one of those things where perhaps um you know as i say i mean the airlines are at fault here but also you know the faa i wonder if you know it's essentially uh, this this relationship of trust if you like has been built up over many many years and you know the cracks are suddenly beginning to show off the back of of course the big the big max incidents yeah uh, absolutely. You're absolutely right, because the FAA is is not manned or staffed to conduct all of its functions, um, to conduct all of those functions with which they are charged. So they have to delegate that out. That trust between the manufacturers, the airlines is uh, is, a, is a huge part of this. And 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 there's a there's a mutual understanding that a mishap is not good for anybody. Yeah. And uh, American Airlines or any other operator or manufacturer would not want an air uh, a mishap, just as much as the FAA doesn't no. doesn't want that. But um, so the, the you know what we learned from the from the Max was this is just the way it is. And um, do we the do FAA, we do we have to start sorry, do we have to start again though? If you like, because I mean, you know, trust us, you know, and again, this is a very naive person looking in on a story that I openly admit I don't know a huge amount about. Is is this one of these things like where the trust has now been broken? So we've almost got to rebuild the relationships again yeah. because, you know, the, the trust has well and truly been smashed out of the park here. Yeah. And unfortunately, it takes incidents. Um, this is a pretty benign. Well, not benign. I mean, they were flying with broken jets, but. Um, the Max really brought brought light to, mm. to this whole relationship. But then uh, when these things uh, are brought to light, now this, this was internal. So the Inspector General's office is internal to the FAA. So it was right. basically they're catching themselves in a situation where, um, hey, things, things aren't looking quite right. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a developing story, and uh, it's not our place to be sort of, uh, you know, guessing or, or, or whatever yeah. here. But Jacob Darlington Brown makes a, a good point in the chat room. Actually, he says it would be interesting to know if the defects were hidden or just not known about. I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, whose responsibility is it to to check? For example, I mean, one of the examples that that you gave there, Armando, in that story was, of course, the uh, the the slide, wasn't it? The slide, one yeah. of the door slides. Now, um, I mean, presumably, if the light's not on, if there's not, a, I guess, is it a warning light or something that you would see on in, on the a... uh, on the? No. Door? So without without going into the rickets. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, they may not. They may not have an indication up front that that there is a uh, a slide. I'm not sure about what aircraft this was. It doesn't say if it was an Airbus or a Boeing right. um, or anything else. But um, it there, there it may have been something where um, there was an internal part that was. So this is me just purely conjecture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, but I. I would think that what happened is this this uh, slide 
they get repacked. There was a good uh, British Airways documentary. Yeah. Uh, on on YouTube now, everything's on YouTube. But um, about <laughs> yeah. how they repack the slides and do things like that. But yeah. I, I bet you it was repacked with either a, a broken component or inoperative or just in a defective way that wasn't um, it wasn't inspected until. It or was, was, it wasn't discovered until the it, next time it was it re-inspected. I bet you yeah, that's okay. what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and yeah. then that probably started having people dig into, you know, wait a minute, why wasn't in, why weren't yeah. regular inspections happening, or or how did this happen? Where's the quality control process and the repacking? So yeah. if it's a team of people, where's the the quality control on that? And and that probably it was one of, one of these things that that highlights an incident. You know, one little incident, and then yeah. and it just starts snowballing. You start from digging, yeah, and digging, and digging yeah, and digging and digging and digging. Yeah, well, you quite often get that, don't you? I mean, uh, several stories. You know, there'll there'll be a, a, a use a court case as an example. There'll be this one tiny thing that they're saying about in the court case, and then before you before you get to the end of the court case, there's like five or six very serious things that have that have all gone on there. Really, isn't it? It's, Richard Adams uh, in the chat room exactly. says he thinks he read somewhere that each repack uh, of a slide costs twenty thousand. I quite believe it. Pounds. I quite believe it. Blimey. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Uh, that that doesn't surprise you. You know, you know, de-icing because I yeah. just took a check ride today. The ground de-ice to have that that orange type one fluid sprayed on your airplane for five minutes. That's like three thousand dollars. Oh, I, yeah. I quite believe it. <laughs> I quite believe it. You don't have a yeah. choice. Like, you, yeah, you yeah. Get the ice it's off a requirement, plane, so. and so, you know, and. Presumably, the the air the airport is essentially able to charge its own price for that because it's not like you can get in a second quote while you're there, is it? I mean, it's like yeah, right. I say, the airlines could pay me. I'll go up with a spray can with the old de-ice. And... I'm not sure that's going to be effective enough. At least I'll get to see the aircraft. Right. Okay. I mean, you probably do a very good job of the windscreen. That's mm. the, you know, but I don't know about the rest of the. Anyway, we're anyway. going to leave that story and <laughs> move on. You've got the next one, Carlos. This one is uh, this is quite interesting. This is from Al's neck of the wood, Captain Al's. This is at WalesOnline.co.uk, oh, and no. uh, it's good news actually. Actually, it's good news in the current situation that we're all in across the globe. Uh, Emirates announce six thousand new jobs as airline gears up for surge in travel. Airline group Emirates plans to recruit more than 6,000 staff in the next six months as travel restrictions are eased. Additional pilots, cabin crew, engineers, specialists and ground staff uh, will be needed to support the airline's operations across its global network in response to a surge in customer demand. Emirates has already restored 90% of its network and is on track uh, to reach 70% of its pre-pandemic capacity by the end of 2021. The world's largest international airline is supplementing its flight schedules with increased frequencies and is also deploying its uh, uh, high-capacity double-decker A380s aircraft on popular routes to add an extra 165,000 seats. In September, Emirates started to recruit 3,000 cabin crew and 500 airport services per uh, employees to its uh, Dubai hub. It now requires an additional 700 ground staff across its network. Furthermore, the airline is offering exciting career opportunities for 600 qualified pilots interested in joining the global airline's flight operations team based in Dubai. As part of the recruitment drive, Emirates also aims to reinforce its engineering team by hiring 1,200 skilled technical staff. 
and comprising of aircraft engineers, engineering support staff, uh, which are all to be based at Dubai and other airports. Emirates is the world's largest operator of both the Boeing 777 and A380 aircraft, and its fleet currently comprises of 263 wide-bodied aircraft and has a number of new aircraft on order to meet future demand, including the Airbus A350s, the 787-9s, and the Boeing 777X aircraft types. This is great news, um, obviously, with it, with Dubai Airport being a rather large airport. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I have traipsed around that for yes. many hours. Um, they, they, you can tell what they need to staff. Yeah. And um, this is good. I mean, this is great news, isn't it? You know, employment and stuff and getting people back into aviation jobs. I mean, it, it's weird, isn't it, actually? In fact, uh, myself and Armando were having a very similar conversation um, only sort of what the, the sort of the, the earlier this afternoon essentially is it's like I mean uh, the responses to like the whole COVID thing here are very very different mm. uh, in terms of other places in in the world and uh, weirdly we're one of the few places that have taken it very very seriously and have been oh, Oman you know uh, uh, and well. sort of locking down and all mm. that kind of thing and I know Dubai initially took it very very seriously. Mm. Um, and you know, and although things are open, you know things are open extremely cautiously, and that. But I mean, is the, is this a sign that that I mean, is this a sign that the the thing is like nearing completion or the end, or is it just merely a, a financial decision essentially that they've decided that you know the vaccination program etc is strong enough now to to keep things um, you know open. Um, now that we know more about the virus and how to contain it and, and things like that. I mean, is, is it is it one of those? I, I, I don't know. Because, I mean, I, certainly if you look at case rates and things like that here in the UK, I, I wouldn't, up. <laughs> you know. Uh, but the the key number for me here is, yes, people are still catching it and they're catching it in mm. greater numbers every day. But the hospitalisation numbers are remaining relatively, they have jumped, um, but the hospitalisation has remained relatively low, and I wonder if that's the figure that that sort of people are keeping more of an eye on these mm. days. Um, you know, because obviously, if we do get a a change in variant, for example, then there could well be a spike of hospitalisations and all that kind of thing. So I wonder if I wonder if um, governments and this is of course this is the trouble, isn't it, with governments and things like that? We're never truly told what number it is that they're looking at. Oh, no. They, you know, it's, they, they, it's they one do. of those, isn't it? Yeah, I'm on those staying very quiet. Unfortunately, on this unfortunately the UK government have a habit of um, exasperating the figures that we get here. Yeah, I mean, you know, but you know, at what point do you, you know, you've got to sort of, um, you know, we can't. How, how, kick... are th- how are things for you in the US, Armando? I mean, are you guys hiring and uh, hiring and hiring over there? Uh, it depends on who you ask. It depends on where you are. Um, I think there is a shortage of workers. So they're without, without getting political, cause we don't get political on this podcast, but there is one school of thought that says there are so many, uh, support structures in place right now due to COVID that people aren't really interested in going back to work. Sorry. My dogs are trying to eat each other. Apparently oh, um, <laughs> everyone's going to have a hobby. <laughs> In a good way, I'd yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I yeah. Um, uh, or if you're an employer, you are, uh, you know, you, there's there's not enough uh, workers to go around, and and their hiring is is a thing right now. There's a there's a huge hiring boom pretty much everywhere in almost every industry. Mm. Um, but uh, as M- Matt and I were talking about this morning, yeah, uh, b- 
there's plenty of places here in the US where you wouldn't even know that there was a thing. COVID was a thing. So. No, and I, again, I mean, I, I, I've been to London. There are large parts of London, to be honest with you, where it literally you, you wouldn't think that there'd been anything oh, yeah. that had been going on. So, I mean, I, I don't think um, I don't think you're alone in, in terms of that. But actually, um, I won't say their name, but somebody in the chat room I know has recently had it. Um, and so they're probably the best person to talk to in terms of, uh, mm. you know, how you feel off the back of it and things like that. But I'll, it, it's, I'll tell you what. You know, Malta took it very seriously. They did, yeah. They, I mean, oh, they, they locked down for word. a long time, didn't they? Yeah. they? And they still are. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know, but as I say, is is this a response, obviously, to the whole... Um, this is more of a response, isn't it, mm. to uh, accepting that... I think I, I, only the very night... And perhaps I'm speaking out of turn. I apologise if I offend anybody by saying this. But I, I do feel anyone. that... Um, you know, I think everybody accepts that we can't continue to keep locking down like we have mm, been. Very true. You know, I, I, I just, you know, life with whatever the new normal is, we've just got to basically, you know, a, 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 you know, almost grab it by the balls mm. and, and and go nuts. You know, it, it's it's one of those sort of sort of difficult situations, isn't it? And it, you know, I just hope you know that because the, the vaccinations do seem to be working, and uh, yeah. um, I've now been off of my third Ooh. jab, which is very exciting. So you know, things are things are going really well as as far as that's concerned. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess we could talk about this for hours. We could do, we? but uh, the next story yeah, is yeah, is indeed. amazing. <laughs> he's he's opened his microphone. I was a bit. T- <laughs> Did you have any final words before we move? No, on? no, no. no. Okay. So moving on to uh, to the next story for Matt and. Uh, we're going over to Japan for this next one to right. to a an interesting way of. If you've thrown me under the bus here, no, with loads not at of all. names I can't pronounce. <laughs> I'm going to not at I'm all. going to throw sharp objects at you. Uh, right, much of the fun has been stripped out of travel over the last year with widespread restrictions and numerous hoops to jump through for admin weary travellers. This is the Japanese carrier Peach Aviation is stocking flights to unknown destinations in vending machines. <laughs> but once the airline is attempting, uh, but one airline is attempting to re-inject some frivolity with its new mystery flights <laughs> which are being sold in vending machines. Japanese carrier Peach Aviation is stocking flights to unknown destinations in, in, in Gachapon the country's capsule vending machines that hold a variety of unusual objects such as toy figurines, hand sanitizer and certified pearls. Wow. All mystery flights are for domestic destinations in Japan, departing from Tokyo's Narita Airport, and capsules cost just 5,000 yen. That's 32 quid. Uh, Travellers won't know where they're going until after they've uh, purchased their capsule, in which they will receive a code that gives them 6,000 yen's worth of mileage points that can be used to travel to a certain destination. Inside the capsule, there's also a pin badge and a mission they can choose to complete once <laughs> in their destination. This I mean, is honestly, uh, I kind of <laughs> like it though. I, I, I like that. I mean, would you would you be out for a for a mystery uh... tour, Armando? I think that's what I did in in Europe when I lived true, over there. It true. was yeah. <laughs> on Wednesday when I lived in the UK. On Wednesday, I would log on to both Ryanair and EasyJet and Flybe, right. and find whatever the lowest fare was for that weekend <laughs> wow, for the okay. next day. Right. So, and then uh, sometimes I was departing out of Norwich, out of uh, Southend, out of Stansted. Uh, sorry, I missed your rant on Stansted. Oh, um, uh, sometimes out of Luton. <laughs> you can rewatch it. Yeah. So, uh, 
Yeah, that's exactly what I would do is, is take off on, on Friday afternoon after work, uh, unless it was, uh, Luton and, and then it took me four hours to get there. Right. Uh, or you just not go. 50 yeah, miles, yeah. <laughs> but then get to a destination and figure it all out from there. You know, no hotels, no rental cars, no nothing. And then all you had was a ticket there and a ticket back on Sunday. I love that kind of adventure. I'm totally up for it. Yeah. yeah it's interesting to, to, to have, it's a, it's a great sales thing though, isn't it? If you want to, you know, get rid of some some flights or fill some bums in some sites, you know, to, or in flights to fill up the plane, <laughs> you know, be, stick a vending machine in the airport and say, hey, I'll stick 32 quid in here uh, and you can get a flight to somewhere. Don't know where you get a flight indeed. to somewhere. I'll tell you what. I mean, that's, that is 18 pounds more than it, than it costs on Ryanair to go to like. True, uh, true. That, Dubrovnik. <laughs> that, is very, that is very true. Do you know what? I, I, Katie doesn't miss a thing, does she, in the chat room? Have you noticed that sat on the windowsill has actually been uh, my little tub of this, the Vicks Vaker rub, which is what's been keeping me going this last two weeks with a cold that I've had. So it's a, I'm going to have to stop. Like, can we get this blind up, please, so that I can hide I know, stuff? I need, to get that, I need to get that blinking blind done. I know. Nobody, you know, in fact, you can just see it. Look, if, you, if I go that side, you can just see uh, there, look, the top of the new blind, just above the yeah, chair. I will, I will make it my mission to get that blind up before next Friday's show. Very hey, good. Okay. Speaking Lovely. of the chat room, I, I saw there was a new name in there. Dennis from Mexico. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, hello absolutely. to Dennis. Yeah. Uh, I love that our, our, our worldwide listenership is starting to make it over to YouTube to be part of the show. Before so, we move Dennis. on to the next story, hola, um, Dennis. Matt, Oh, how, yes. how is that um, cherry... It is. It is most adequate. Thank you. Is it nice? Yes, it's actually quite nice. So yes, I, uh, I, I think before we started the show here, uh, Carlos had brought me a tin of Cherry Baby Cherry Lager. Now, uh, I, I suspect he chose the colour um, specifically for me, uh, as a, as a, but it's. I have to say, it's I'm not nice. normally a, log, a lager fan, but this is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This, right. this, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've had like the cherry like sort of ciders and things like that. Obviously, always drink responsibly, ladies and gentlemen. Always that drink is that responsibly. We don't condone. Always no podcast. Podcast yes. responsibly. Po- podcast yeah. responsibly. That's what we should be doing. I'm, uh, I'm on Corona today. Good old Corona. Good old Corona. Oh, oh dear. Keep that Corona oh, away. Keep the Rona away. Absolutely. Have you had your fl- <laughs> Have you had your jabs? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm trying to drown those little. Guys. Swines, yes, absolutely. Very anyway, well done. family show. Moving on. Family show. Moving <laughs> on. So, Armando, story six is with you, and uh, we're going over to uh, Auntie Liz's neck of the woods for Ooh. this one. Yeah, this has been making its round around uh, YouTube. Also, if you're an Av geek, uh, but the article itself comes to us from One Mile at a Time dot com. This incident involves an Emirates uh, Airbus A three eighty flight two forty one between Dubai and Toronto. On this particular flight, the plane had touched down on uh, Toronto's uh, Pearson International Airport. The plane uh, was taxiing to the gate. So Emirates originally operates out of Terminal 1 at uh, Toronto, but in this case, the A380 was directed to go to a gate at Terminal 3 due to congestion in the international arrivals hall of Terminal 1. So it sounds like Heathrow, doesn't it? It Um, does. (laughs) So the air traffic controllers told the Emirates pilot to taxi to gate Charlie 34 Alpha via taxiways Alpha and Alpha Kilo. There was only one slight problem. The pilots weren't expecting to park at that gate. The paperwork that they had showed that the A380 was too big to park there and that the A380 couldn't taxi on some of those taxiways. Um, and I think Captain Nick has talked about this quite a bit on uh, over on APG, but um, th- at this point, the, the pilots and the air traffic control get into a, a, a bit of a, a 
Tissy. Uh, so I think uh, we've got some audio uh, courtesy of Vaz Aviation, who do amazing work. Here we go. Just hear the A3. Okay, okay. uh, just to confirm our Airbus 380-800, I don't think we can use Alpha Kilo. Uh, I'm Charlie 34, it's not Tower Gate. I'm ready to I believe Charlie 34 is okay for your type. Charlie 34 Alpha is the actual gate number, it's, uh, but it's right there at Charlie 34. The, the issue, uh, Emirates 241, is the gates that are beside the gate. That's what the issue is for you being able to park there. And there's no one on either side of you, so it is okay to use. Okay, can we have again the clearance for the taxi all the way to the gate, please? Straight ahead, cross runway 33 right. Alpha, hold short Alpha Kilo. All right. Um, I've flown into Toronto many, many times with the 380. I've never parked at the Charlie uh, gates. My paperwork shows that the taxiways in that direction are all red for us, not approved. The Charlie gate is not uh, approved for us. And... Um, we're going to need uh, follow me. We're going to need wing walkers if you want us to park over there. Emirates 241, I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to get you a phone number you can call yourself because I, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Wow. Uh, it's perfectly <laughs> adequate for, I don't, and I can't speak for your paperwork, but I'll get you a phone number. You can call them. I can pass you over to Apron as well. You can talk to them. That's all I can do for you. Uh, as far as wing walkers and the follow me vehicle to get to Charlie 34, that's another thing we're going to have to go through the GTA for. But just stand by, hold your position, and I'll get, uh, I'll get you a phone number. Yeah, well, I'm not calling anybody from here. Uh, park <laughs> break is going to be set. You will have to arrange a uh, follow me and wing walkers, because my paperwork shows this is all red, taxiways, uh, once, I get, once I enter at uh, Alpha Kilo there. And um, I, I just I, I can't take the plane there until I have uh, confirmation that uh, it's okay to go. Yeah, I've got a no-cam that uh, Alpha, between Alpha Lima and Alpha Kilo, is restricted uh, to a, a smaller wingspan than uh, we've got. So, is that no-cam no longer apply, or have I misread it? From what I understand, you guys are good down Alpha towards Alpha Kilo, and you restrict uh, taxiway Bravo to a coach seat. Wow. Yeah, we've got that, but there's also a no-cam. Um, Oh, sorry, we've misread the uh, the time. I apologize. Oh. Uh, hello, it's Emirates uh, 241 Super. Emirates 241 Super, Avery. Okay, we have been told to enter Alpha Kilo and then go to Charlie 34. Um, all our paperwork has uh, red taxiways to the left of Alpha Kilo, and Charlie 34 is a red restricted gate for this aircraft. We have no uh, no guidance. So if you want us to park there, we're going to need a uh, wing walkers uh, for the uh, the aircraft, I suppose. 
Rich 241 Super, that has already been arranged. Uh, you will be parking on Charlie 34 Alpha, which is a 380 only gate. And I do have safety officers and wing walkers uh, readily available. And if you need a follow me vehicle, I can uh, have that arranged as well. Well, follow me, I probably don't need, but I will need the wing walkers. Uh, and yeah, I guess we'll have to talk to our company about changing some uh, paperwork because uh, everything I've got says that's uh, not approved for 380. But. Uh, Okay, just confirm you'd like us to continue along Alpha, enter at Alpha Kilo, and then you will have uh, somebody to uh, to guide us in watching our uh, wings to uh, the gate. Uh, that is correct. You can continue down Alpha in Alpha Kilo, and uh, I do have safety officers on the corridors ready for you to arrive there. Very good. Understood. Thank you. Uh, as I said, I've been to Toronto many times. It's the first time I've ever uh, parked here, so uh, sorry for the confusion, but we just got to be careful what we do with this bird, bigger, big bird. No, absolutely, we understand, and I guess uh, today is day one for us as well to have you guys over there, and I think they're just doing it because the congestion for international arrivals is just... Okay, that's uh, fine. We're uh, on our way. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's a really cool um, piece of audio, actually, isn't it? Is it is very good, yeah. yeah. Indeed. What, what are your take-out or, or um, um, thoughts on that, well, Armando? The uh, you know the the way Pearson is set up that's what I was looking at the taxi diagram so there's there's uh, three east west runways two north south runways all the terminals are on the east side of uh, except for one but all the terminals are on the east side of the airfield and there's really not a lot of taxi they're they're all parallel to each other north south and they seem to be um, pretty tightly uh, together which is which was his concern that that the wingspan was too long, too wide to, to taxi down those without uh, potential obstacles. Those obstacles may not actually be other airplanes. It could be the, the engines being so far out that yeah. there are uh, structures, you know, yeah. either windsocks, lights, uh, antennas, uh, any kind of service facility. Um, so it's not necessarily that other airplanes can see that I'm I'm absolutely with the uh, the crew here the aircraft crew here because it's just like you know they've got a piece of paper at the end of the day you know the person sat in you know in the left seat of that A380 is the one responsible for the well-being of that aircraft Uh, you know and they are responsible for that ridiculously expensive airplane (laughs) that isn't owned by them it's owned by someone else and they've got to take responsibility for for that i mean it's just like yeah Yeah. i I mean for me the thing that was most interesting there was that sudden change in attitude (laughs) by uh by ground control i mean this is well here's the other part is the ground controller is very busy yeah so the as airplanes are landing they're still doing 60 knots and coming off the 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 high speeds the they cross the the little yellow lines and then immediately they're talking to ground and the ground controller on that frequency is responsible for all of the terminals and all of the airplanes so he doesn't really have the time to have this this uh, extended discourse about like I, I i'm i'm with everybody here he can't he's like i don't know what to do about your paperwork i was given a piece of paper we know that that's a a380 gate i'm sending you there i know it's non-standard that's not the ground controller's job. So, should he have gotten that testy about it? Meh, I don't know. But yeah. But I but I sympathize with him in that he's a very busy person. There's a lot going on, and he hasn't got time for that conversation. Essentially, as he really exactly, yeah, which yeah. which he did exactly what he needed to do, which is hey, this is this is not my problem. Now he's thinking, where do I park an A380 that's out of the way until this gets sorted <laughs> yeah, out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. 
Indeed. Um, yeah. And then and then you know it all got sorted out with the with the uh, apron mm. or the ramp control. Yeah. But yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a. It's an interesting. It is. It's uh, a fascinating bit of audio. Actually, yeah. it really mm-hmm. is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and well, well, well handled in the end. I just, think is the best. Just one last it. comment from Tony S in yeah. the chat room. He yeah. says, "I can just imagine what the exchange would have been like if that had happened at JFK." Oh. Oh yeah. Mm. Can you imagine the uh, <laughs> the cultural differences between the Emirates pilots yeah. and uh, Gosh. and a JFK ground controller? Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, frosty. Uh, is is a word isn't it anyway come on we're going to move on so next story is number seven this is uh, comes to us from airlinegeeks.com and uh, for those of you who are fans of those lovely beautiful lounges at airports but can't quite get to them because you're not a business or first class passenger like Nev uh, this is uh, EasyJet are opening their first lounge at London Gatwick so we can all have a chance at a lounge now. So one of the pillars of the low-cost airline concept, uh, the one developed by uh, first by Southwest Airlines in the 60s and 70s, was the absence of frills and supplementary services in order to keep costs low and pass on the savings to passengers in the way of lower fares. However, especially during the past couple of decades, we've seen airlines that were born as low-cost or no-frills carriers hybridized to become more and more similar to traditional or full-service carriers. These airlines have traditionally offered services that are intended to increase passenger satisfaction and potential revenue streams. Last week, European low-cost airline EasyJet took another step uh, towards what could be described as hybridization by opening up its first lounge at their nice. main hub at London Gatwick Airport. So in cooperation with lounge operator number one lounges, um, the carrier opened uh, the gateway by EasyJet at number one lounges. Uh, this is the first ever airport co-branded lounge created by the partnership between a budget airline and a lounge operator. The space is ex- uh, intended as an area dedicated to passengers who want to work or relax in a relaxing atmosphere and can be booked as an extra service uh, by the hour, so you're paying for this by the hour, uh, from £18.50 uh, an hour. That's around about $25 an hour. Uh, the undertaking is part of EasyJet's partnership with British travel company Holiday Extras, and it's possible for all passengers to book the lounge online in increments of one hour up to a maximum of three hours. Oh, uh, wow. The space will also be accessible to members of the Priority Pass program, um, who, uh, um, sorry, my fingers just jumped here, uh, who will be able to use services of the lounge starting from three hours before the departure of their flight. Complimentary food and drinks will be available to all guests together with a selection of dishes inspired by destinations served by EasyJet from London Gatwick. There'll be free Wi-Fi as well. I mean, who uses that these days? Everyone's got 4G. As well as some armchairs for relaxation with refreshments and families will also be able to enjoy a games room and a TV den. Sounds nice. good. At the moment, EasyJet is not planning on providing lounge access to passengers purchasing their flexi fares. So bear that in mind if you're purchasing a FlexiFare. Uh, those including more flexibility at a higher baggage allowance, dedicated drop bag desk, fast track at security, and a meal voucher to use on board. These uh, passengers will have to reserve lounge access and pay the appropriate fees like everyone else. But it's not difficult to see how this could be a future development, allowing EasyJet to further refine its premium offering in order to attract a high yield of customers. 
Now, I've used Number One Lounge before uh, at Gatwick, before this, obviously, yeah. partnership with EasyJet. It's actually not a bad lounge. Um, back back when I used it, it was actually um, it was 20 quid each um, per, per, per person to use. Okay. But there was no time limit. You could go in the lounge for as long as you like. Um, but it was a very nice lounge, and, and the, the food and snacks and drinks on offer were really nice, actually. For your 20 quid, yeah, you could have, Worth a, it. Yeah, you could have a damn good feed. Yeah, you know, okay. have a damn good feed. So I think this is, a, this is a, probably a, a good idea on EasyJet's um or EasyJet's thoughts or such to, yeah. to, to get some more cash, I should say. Yeah, although although presumably it's costing them obviously to to hire the lounge, if you like, for the purposes with, with of this. Num- so. Yeah, with the, uh, yeah. the the partnership with um, Number One Lounge. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Armando? Twenty five dollars an hour to use a lounge? Oh yeah, I, I've paid that. It used to be what Lounge Buddy was an app. Mm. Oh, okay. Have you guys ever? No. No, you could you could get to uh, any airport and check out lounge buddy and then you could buy passes at at the number one lounge or I'd like Heathrow has mm. I don't know right. what, yeah. half a dozen different companies that run lounges so wow okay cool uh, yeah I would totally pay 25 bucks an hour yeah well I suppose because and again it, again is it one of those in sort of like post COVID times where hopefully you know the lounge will hopefully be a bit quieter Therefore, you can have a little bit of a <laughs> bit of your own space and all that kind of thing, possibly. Richard Adams um, in the chat room says, £18 per hour would be cheaper to sit in spoons. Meaning, for, the, for our US listeners, <laughs> with Witherspoons, which is a very right, large okay. branch um, of the Although food it'd be, re- eating. It would be drinkeries. quite noisy and, and quite... Imagine yeah. drinks would be quite cheap. Yeah, fair. spoons, yeah. You, yeah. You, could, you, could, you could get an awful lot of um, um, ciders for, for that 20-something or other pound you an could hour, actually, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah you uh, could Indeed. Get, yeah. Anyway, anyway, okay, let's so go. So, Matt, on. number yes. eight, a special Halloween story. Right, yes, okay, <laughs> this is... Oh, sorry. Oh dear. Uh, sore throat, cough. Yeah, can, we just, yeah. uh, can we just summarize this story? Like, all of the UK <laughs> is haunted. It's all been around for like 10,000 10, years. True. Everything looks true that. haunted. Yeah, absolutely. That is the true. church in Bungie is haunted. Which, well, yes. Well, no, especially because you've got, you got the black shuck, as they call him, haven't you? Which was the, the wild black dog that used to roam yeah. the streets of Bungie. Black dog haunted. of Bungie. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> you, you just need too. an echo on there, really. Yeah, right. I, well, all right. Sorry, we'll, we'll, got one, we'll have that on the next upgrade, okay. shall we? Yeah, we'll have <laughs> so, uh, what airport what is, is named? I have no idea. Shall we read the story? Uh, mm. the, uh, website is uh, swlondoner.co.uk, and uh, the headline is Heathrow Airport named in the top ten most haunted places in Britain. Heathrow Airport has been named by holiday rental site Holiday as the fourth most haunted place in Britain many may be surprised to see that an airport on a list next to more traditional supernatural haunts like castles and towers but there is more going on at Heathrow than flights to Bangkok the main tale of of ghostly activity surrounds a plane crash in 1948 where a man was seen asking if anyone had seen his briefcase but later firefighters saw that the same man among the wreckage of the aircraft since then the ghost has been seen on the runway multiple times perhaps uh, the office of unfinished business has a strict dress code 
Wow. Uh, if that wasn't enough to shake your scepticism, in 1970, <laughs> the radar office picked up uh, picked up a man on the runway, but when the emergency services arrived, he was nowhere to be found. Ooh. So if you ever find yourself at a loss at Heathrow Airport whilst waiting for a plane to take you on holiday, instead of endlessly browsing giant Toblerones and designer fragrances, you could uh, spend your time to become a real-life ghost Buster. Now, I actually, poor I, Adam. Right. Yes. Okay. I see. I see what you did there. Um, I, I mean, one of the things is like for me, because I, I tell you what, I'd have loved to have wandered around. Was it Terminal One or Two that they closed? Uh, was it Terminal One they closed? Wasn't it? Was he through? Was it Two or One? I th- I thought it was One, but I might be anyway. Whichever one it is mm. that they shut, I'd have loved to have gone round that mm. once it was completely deserted, because I bet that was quite an eerie experience especially if they put out most of the lights do you know what i mean uh that would mm. have been quite interesting but uh, anyway i'll just i'll run through the the list very quickly uh at number 10 was st andrews university number nine was edinburgh playhouse number eight clumber parks number seven edinburgh castle which Ooh. doesn't surprise me at yes. all uh six windsor castle Ooh. warwick castles at number five heathrow was at number four blackpool Bla- blackpool Bla- pleasure beach number three uh, was at number three the this tower one, of london obviously now obviously. i would have put that at first uh, but apparently top spot here uh uh, in the UK is the British Museum. Mm. That's probably because of all of the very, very old artefacts that are lying yeah. around there. But uh, there we go. There anyway, is a lot of history at Heathrow. There is a lot of history. Yeah. History. Armando, yeah. you have got the next story, and uh, yeah, we're all about the uh, friendly fuels. All right, bring it back over to the states from uh, media.textron.aviation.com. That's a very good American accent you have. It's <laughs> a by good the way. American it's accent. Really, it's Armando. really believable. Yeah. Hey, thanks. I've been practicing. <laughs> Uh, Cessna and Textron Aviation just put out a uh, media release not too long ago saying that Textron Aviation is announcing that many Cessna piston-powered aircraft are now approved to utilize a more environmentally friendly aviation gasoline, or avgas as we call it. Uh, Owners and operators of the Cessna uh, 172 Skyhawk, 182 Skyline can now use the 91 octane ultra lead, uh, it's ultra ultra low lead. Uh, 94 octane and 100 octane very low lead VLL fuel in the aircraft wherever it is available. The Cessna 206 uh, turbo stationary aircraft is already approved for the 100 uh, very low lead. Uh, Unleaded and lower leaded fuels burn cleaner than higher leaded fuels currently in use on most piston aircraft. Um, So they're... uh, saying that in their statement that they're committed to sustainability, this announcement is an excellent opportunity for aviation enthusiasts to minimize their carbon footprint while continuing to enjoy the journey of flight. That's from Chris Crow, the uh, Vice President of Piston and Utility Sales. We've produced more than 75,000 of these piston uh, aircraft models, and this gives owners and operators around the world a chance to take action in reducing emissions. Um, There you go. All three of these... uh, uh, Cessna airplanes use Lycoming engines. Uh, Lycoming recently approved this uh, unleaded and lower leaded fuels after a completion of a bunch of tests. Uh, but this has been huge. Uh, both AOPA and EAA, the Experimental Aircraft Association, amongst the uh, others like the uh, GAMA, General Aviation Manufacturers Association, they know that the end is near for 100 low lead fuel or leaded fuel in general. So they have been, over the past couple of years, seeking out 
alternative fuels, or at least low, low or no lead fuels. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm, you guess, you I'm can... guessing they're not going to be able to put these sorts of fuels in, in a 1967 Cessna 150. <laughs> uh, well, you never know. You never know because as as the technology, the, a Lycoming engine is is a Lycoming engine. So the difference between a a, a, a four cylinder IO three sixty and a IO two eighty two ninety something like that that's uh, in a in a one fifty is not very different. So I, I would actually guess that this is going to trickle down into some of the other Lycoming engines, and it it may have to do with uh, what kind of um, whether they're fuel injected or carbureted, um, I'd have to uh, dig in a little bit into the actual releases to see. Um, mm. There's a service bulletin that was released with this, um, so I'd have to dig into the service bulletin to see what what it is about mm. those particular engines that allow this to to use these fuels. Yeah, but it's, it's huge. It is, and and look, I, we, we've got a similar thing here, isn't it? Because like. Uh, We've, they've got they've got this new E10 not all cars yeah. here in the UK will run on this E10 or so they say or so they say I haven't heard anyone had any issues yet right okay like yeah lawnmowers like you can't use like E10 fuel in lawnmowers or something like that because it comes yeah. up the the fu- the injectors or right the okay or yeah. something like that yeah, it's supposed to be like lower something or other, isn't it? It's supposed to be better for the environment. It's supposed to be like water soon. Right, okay. Well, you know, hydro- know, hydrogen cars are a thing, so, mm. you know, there we go. Uh- <laughs> go back to good old-fashioned steam engines. Indeed. That's what the power is, yeah. Uh, this next story comes to us. Oh. Matt just sneezed. <laughs> Sorry, Matt just done a big sneeze. Um, Don't hit the mute button in time. This next story comes to us from Simple Flying. And, uh, well, I mean, Boeing of spent a few quid in the last couple of years but they're going to be spending a few more quid uh boeing expects 787 reworks to cost around one billion dollars that's that all uh, boeing has revealed fixes <laughs> half the price i know yeah. <laughs> boeing has revealed fixes to the 787 dreamline that are expected to cost the company around one billion dollars in its uh, third quarter results published today boeing chalked up 183 million dollars in losses due to 787 complications. Uh, For that quarter alone, and noted its production rate currently set to at two planes per month. Uh, Boeing expects the 787 Dreamliner production issues and reworks to end up costing around $1 billion uh, in abnormal costs. In its quarterly results, Boeing said the low production rates and rework are expected to result in approximately $1 billion of abnormal, we've just said that, abnormal costs, of which $183 million was recorded in that quarter. The plane maker is dealing with several quality issues on its 787s and is working closely with the Federal Aviation Administration on fixes. Boeing added, uh, the Boeing company continues to focus on 787 production resources and conducting inspections and reworks and continues to engage in detailed discussions with the FAA regarding required actions for resuming delivery. Boeing also revealed that its current production rate of the 787 Dreamliner is now at two planes per month. Uh, At its peak, Boeing was producing 14 787s per month, uh, but has repeatedly slashed its production rate of the aircraft, which stood at five planes per month this summer. So Boeing has said that the current 787 production rate is approximately two aircraft a month. We just said that. Thank you. Simple flying. Uh, The company expects this to continue at this rate until deliveries resume and then return to five per month 
over time. So new problems discovered this uh, month, early in the month, Boeing revealed that certain titanium parts, as we covered on the show actually, so, uh, titanium parts on some 787s built in the past three years were not up to strength, citing problems with a third-party supplier. I say it always blames someone else. Uh, affected parts of the plane included fittings that assist in securing the floor beams, while oh. other fittings, spaces, brackets and clips are Quite still serious, under then? investigation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the 787 Dreamliner program has been hit with multiple issues over the years, including including early battery problems, we all remember those, uh, which led to all 50 787s in service at that time worldwide being grounded for over three months. Uh, Last year, more problems were discovered, including quality issues with seams on the fuselage, uh, forcing Boeing to rework 100 undelivered 787s. Although deliveries of the 787 took place earlier this year, they were halted again in May and are yet to resume. And Boeing has delivered just 14 Dreamliners this year, all between March and June. In its quarterly results, Boeing noted it had secured orders for 12 787s. Wow, okay. Yeah. But, you well, know, I know it sounds like we're picking on Boeing, but I, I want to, you know, um, there is a good point in the chat room. Captain Cruz says, oh, so the only one, the only Boeing with no issues is a 747, which they decided to stop oh, building. Oh, very good. <laughs> Captain Cruz, <laughs> very good. But uh, so so here is a there was another article in uh, Reuters not too long ago with Airbus, and and this 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 kind of highlights it. Airbus operates obviously you know a rival supply chain mm-hmm. to Boeing. They have eight thousand direct suppliers and eighteen thousand indirect suppliers. That's about fifty billion dollars a year that they're outsourcing. And they have not been immune to uh, manufacturing issues either. No. Um, so they, you know, in, in 2020, according to this article, the Airbus experienced 370, 370 quality control problems. That's an equivalent to 1.6 per day, um, of of which about half made a significant imp- air p- impact on some aircraft. So sometimes it's not even their fault. It's not even Boeing or Airbus. It's it's uh, these these third. Um, Third level down mm, component party. manufacturers. Is yeah. is the I mean, as you say, we're, we're absolutely not picking on Boeing, but do you think there's more scrutiny on Boeing at the moment purely because of of the whole Max thing and stuff like that? I mean, is is that probably the reason why we're a little we're all a little bit more hypersensitive to any kind of minor like nut or bolt sort of well, issue, you know? I think the media is a little bit more hypersensitive to Boeing because it sells. I think Boeing and Airbus internally are both hypersensitive to themselves. Uh, uh, Airbus is in in the wings behind the curtain right now going, hey, let's make sure our stuff is like, you know, good to go. And and both of these companies like you were talking about or asking about earlier, Matt, I bet you both of these companies are, are very much into their own quality control processes, hence issues like like we just talked about with the dreamliner uh being discovered internally right um but everybody's got scrutiny right the, yeah. the faa uh their inspector general is involved in their own processes boeing's in its own processes airbus and i'll bet you the big uh, suppliers the avionics suppliers goodrich you know the uh, ge rolls royce all these suppliers are probably very very much yeah um scrutinizing yeah. themselves literally every nut and bolt you know Indeed. Well, because the, the Max was a great example. Yeah. Right? I mean, there, how many mishaps, how many aircraft mishaps have there been in the world? How many major mishaps? Yeah. 
and and fortunately very low isn't it that that that's mm. the whole thing here isn't it so when when any incident takes place it is always going to be a major major thing isn't it because it is still despite all these awful things that have happened uh, it is still the safest way to travel there's no there's no safer way to get around absolutely Um, you know and and this and this is coming from a nervous flyer i should stress (laughs) you know there is genuinely if you look at the stats alone there is no safer way to fly around i still don't like it but (laughs) so you so you took captain al's course and you liked it so positive reviews for captain Al's. always positive reviews for captain al there is yeah yeah it was uh it's um yeah i couldn't recommend i can't no i can recommend uh the course that he does very very highly because it got me on a plane to the states so uh, Mm. you know that that is that is an achievement if our listeners don't know, Captain Al was actually invited to speak at Oshkosh at Air Venture in 2019, was it? Wow. Um, and and that is a that's a, a, a pretty big honor to be invited to speak Huge. At, to to hold a seminar at EA Air Venture and Captain Al had a fear yeah. of flying um yeah. uh speech that that yeah. <laughs> I think a quarter of the audience was was uh PTUK and APG. <laughs> quite right, quite right. Uh, Absolutely, I expect nothing less. Uh, if you are interested in uh, f- uh, Flight Fear Solutions, uh, that is the company that he owns. So uh, make sure you search it up. If you pop Flight Fear Solutions into your web browser, you will find him. He is literally the first one there in the list. Flight Fear Solutions. None if you're needing a little bit of, uh, of uh, no, well, I know, but no, but they might know someone who is because <laughs> you know I, I know I'm not the only one out yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you I, may I, be surprised. Carlos. My boss, Stuart. Well, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> after, after I took him up in 172. Oh, uh, right, yeah, but that may be your fault um, rather than, uh, than any particular fear of Ooh, flying. We should, re- we should replay the video of, of Matt flying with me in the Archer. We should. Yeah, we absolutely should. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll dig that out of the archive and the perhaps archives, in, yeah. in, include that in, in another week. Anyway, we're going to move on to the next story now. Yes, moving on to uh, simple flying for you, Matt, with this next one. Indeed. And, and, and about an aircraft I'm yet to fly, but I want to go. Right. Okay. Yeah. So this is the uh, the last story, uh, commercial story this week, and uh, this is an aircraft that you guys actually saw at Farnborough, if, mm, I, if yeah, I remember. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Well, maybe not this specific aircraft, but uh, you got to see the the A two twenty. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Simpleflying.com is the website. The headline is Breeze Airways goes a big on a premium cabin for its Airbus A220s. Bridge Airways has revealed its configuration for the Airbus A220-300, unveiling its first plane today. October the 26th uh, was uh, when it was released. Sorry, not today. The airline has a backlog of 80 A220s uh, destined to go into service from the second quarter of 2022. This exciting aircraft will only seat 126 passengers. The reason for this flight configuration is because of the large premium cabin. The A220 is the first aircraft on which Breeze will offer a first class style product. There will be a whopping 36 seats in this cabin. The first Airbus A220-300 revealed for Breeze will be only seat uh, will only seat 126 passengers. However, travellers will have a wide variety of products to choose from. At the front of the plane, Breeze will put an eye-popping 36 
premium seats in a 2-2 configuration. That's four per row. These 36 seats will be sold in the nicest fare category. The seats Breeze has chosen are Safran Seats Z600. These 20.5-inch wide wow. seats offer a pitch of 39 inches. The uh, best comparison of this product is to a domestic first-class product that one can find on American Delta or United, for example. Everything from the emergency exit to the front of the aircraft will be this premium cabin. Behind this, there were 10 extra legroom seats and 80 standard economy seats. These two products are laid out in a two- 2-3 configuration and a Safran USZ110s uh, this uh, 110i's sorry both of these products are 18.8 inches wide extra legroom seats will have a pitch of 33 inches while standard legroom seats will have a pitch of 30 to 31 inches Breeze Airways took its first Airbus A220-300 at a celebration in Mobile, Alabama, uh, where Airbus has a final assembly line. The plane will not fly the A20 to A220 until the second quarter of 2022, uh, by when it plans to have six of the type in its fleet. No routes have been named as yet, but David Nealman, founder and CEO of Breeze, has stated that the plan is to first use these planes on the carrier's existing routes for familiarisation purposes and then branch off to use these routes on longer haul routes for each uh, for, for which the Embraer's are not ideal. Premium seats will feature in-seat power through AC and USB ports. The economy cabin will only feature USB ports. Breeze has not announced its Wi-Fi partner but it expects to do so in the coming weeks. The plan is to outfit all A220s with Wi-Fi to allow streaming, internet browsing and messaging Messaging. Breeze has not revealed if some components of Wi-Fi access, namely messaging, will be free or sold at a lower rate than other Wi-Fi access. Mr. Nealman highlighted the flexibility of the Airbus A220. The airline is excited about the incredible efficiency the Pratt & Whitney PW1500G and geared turbofan engines offer in addition with a range of up to 3450 nautical miles that's 6390 kilometers breeze can fly the planes on a whole host of routes premium seats on a low-cost carrier may sound strange however spirit airlines offers a big front seat product that has developed quite well with the bones of a domestic first class flight product the airline provides little else in terms of a soft product or amenities and sells the upgraded seating at a price depending on the length of the route but typically pricing out relatively less than domestic first class products there we are quite a mouthful that story but uh, yeah, they, I mean this this A2 the A220 is proving to be such so a good. popular it's, it's aircraft, done Airbus isn't it? A big uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I would argue quite quickly this could be one of their biggest and fastest selling aircraft. I think I'd, I'd be I'd be surprised if it, if it pips the A320 because the A320 is obviously I think it's Airbus's biggest selling um, aircraft. But um, you know this is really like you said, Matt. This is doing Airbus no. Uh, dishonor at all it's, it's going very well for uh, for Airbus 220 and plus mm. the fact lots of airlines in the US are snapping these up as well absolutely Amanda you, you had a chance to, to fly the uh, 220 yet I did on Delta because um, mm. Delta oh, wow. is, is buying the A220 so 
Um, and Breeze Airways, uh, they're pretty much an East Coast airline right now, pretty uh, going from Boston to Pittsburgh, uh, looks like Tampa, uh, New Orleans, San Antonio, and then some intermediate destinations to smaller cities. Um, but uh, this guy, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's, you know, as, as the founder of JetBlue, he's also, uh, you know, with their service to, to England that just started. Mm. Um, there's nothing but positive reviews from from those aircraft going over from uh, the East Coast over to to Heathrow, I think it is. Um, so he he knows what he's doing. Absolutely, indeed. So that's where we bring. And a, sorry, oh, and if you sorry, if you don't put as many seats and passengers, and of course you can carry extra fuel. <laughs> true. So you got yeah. and, and have more and have great comfort. range on this. Yeah, true. Yeah. Very true. And be more comfortable and have yeah. decent seat pitch. And, and all of the above. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, go on. <laughs> so that is where we bring the commercial segment to a close this week. Uh, next up on the show is our fourth and final part of the interview series with Mike, Mike Wildman. Um, actually, just mentioned I spoke to, uh, to Jonathan Warner, who's in the chat room at the moment as well today. And he, Jonathan, l- has been loving this series of interviews. Yeah. Absolutely loving these. Um, so this is the fourth part. In this part, we hear. I think it's the fourth and final part. It's the final well, part. Yeah. yeah. In this part, we hear Mike talk about the Yak Fifty Two, uh, training on the aircraft, and all about his amazing team members. What sort of hurdles have you had to jump with regards to authorizations from the CAA and the like? Initially, they were they were uh, in Bard's bus company times. They were they were very interested in it, and we had uh, we had a lot of oversight from the CAA. Um, uh, but once that had been done, and we'd proved our metal as far as uh, um, having our DAs, and, and then we produced a number of safe shows. Nothing more. They just uh, they just uh, we have to get our, our, you know, our the next DA is done um, uh, as and when. But they just left us to it. Brilliant. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the aircraft? Yeah, aeroplanes are fantastic. It's a Yak-52, not as old-fashioned as it looks. Um, these aircraft are mostly 1970s vintage. Okay. Um, and these are basic Russian military lead-in trainers. So they've got, uh, it's got a 400 horsepower, um, nine-cylinder radial engine, producing, uh, yeah, 400 horsepower. Uh, very, very strong, robust, uh, unusually, a lot of the controls, the undercarriage starting is all using pneumatics. So okay. it uses air to start, uh, air for the undercarriage, uh, air for bits and bobs. Uh, it's mostly uh, metal apart from fabric on some of the surfaces. Uh, very, very military. These have been converted inside because a lot of the original aeroplanes have got all the stuff in Cyrillic. Um, <laughs> we still fly in with kilometers an hour. Um, but most of the Cyrillic stuff has now been changed uh, and, and taken off a lot of weight. So we've got proper glass cockpit and stuff in there. But it's, uh, it's still a very, very military feel to the aeroplane. Um, fun uh, to fly? So lots of fun to fly. Brilliant. Really great fun to fly. Easy to land, um, nice wide undercarriage, and then pneumatic brakes for us. So um, a great aeroplane. Yeah, really, really nice. Absolutely. Now, the, um, the organization here that owned these, um, yeah. They're available for anyone to come and uh, get some flying and yes, training. Yes, they are. They right? do. They do um, uh, flying conversion. They do uh, aerobatic courses. So they're here all the time. Uh, their main, uh, their meet and drink is to go and do air displays uh, around the world. And they fly a six-ship air display um, 
the big area now for uh, air display work is both China and uh, India, and it's not unusual for them to display to a million people on the ground. Um, wow. And that will they'll go out and they'll do um, three to four weeks in, in each place, um, shipping the aircraft out in containers, and that's uh, and, and that's much more lucrative. These aeroplanes burn about uh, 120 liters an hour when you're doing shows, um, which about two pounds a liter. You can you know, do the maths just in fuel alone. You're talking about 250 pounds an hour. So two of you in formation is 500. You know, six of you that's 1,500 quid just for the fuel for an hour. So it starts to get expensive. Absolutely. So, yeah. So a little plug for them, perhaps. Whereabouts are we, and what's the name of their company? Okay. Well, we're here in Henstridge. They are the Yakov Levs, um, and uh, they are with the Blades. I'd say they're the top two um, civilian air displays uh, teams in the country, that's and uh, they've been going for 20 years. I think Jez, the leader has flown something like 2,000 air shows. Wow. Um, I think he's the most experienced yak pilot in the world. Um, uh, so it's a, it's a remarkable story. Uh, he's got three of these yak 52s. They use the 52 as the lead aircraft, and then they have yak 50s as the, uh, the other aircraft in formation. The yak 50 was a purely aerobatic competition airplane where they effectively took the front seat out um, uh, and made it a tail dragger. Okay. Um, uh, had no flaps on the uh, 50 version as well. And so that's a much more sporty uh, aeroplane. And we use those as kind of the chase aeroplanes. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, now, uh, you've got a y another young lady working with you. Cheryl, is she still? Uh... Uh, Cheryl, um, Cheryl's uh, remarkable. She's another flying scholarship for the disabled scholar. And um, uh, she's uh, completing her PPL training at the moment. Um, but our aim is uh, to get her involved, uh, she comes down here and flies with us, but our aim is to get her involved uh, as soon as we can to get her as a uh, third member of the team as soon as we can take her through the, uh, the system. Brilliant. So, and she, uh, yeah, she's uh, quite an inspirational character herself. She's uh, done flying training, wing walking. Uh, she has a, a, a kind of a, a spinal spasticity problem, so she walks with her cane. But. Uh, um, She's great, and, and uh, we'd very much like to, to get her doing more flying as soon as we can. Well, actually, that would be that, uh, yeah, that would just tick all the boxes, wouldn't it? Absolutely that would right. be fantastic. Yeah, indeed. Brilliant. Yeah. So, uh, looking ahead, if you uh, you're going to complete your training over the winter, yep. and uh, for that, of course, you're going to need a lot of sponsorship. Indeed. Um, so, you know, that's an angle we we need to talk about. Mm. But um, what's next year got for you? If, assuming it all works, all well, comes right. Um, a number of air displays have already booked us. We've been uh, uh, Duxford, uh, the, the um, uh, International Air Institute. At, uh, oh, Riyadh, yes, Riyadh. that uh, would Riyadh be fantastic. is the world's largest military air show, and they've booked us, um, I think, on the Friday of their weekend. We've been promised the Guernsey Air Show as well, so we'll be there. Um, obviously, people aren't going to, to book you till you definitely know you're going to be there. So, uh, but we, we're looking forward to doing 10 to 15 shows next year. Well, that would be great. Now, there is a rumour that you might be able to get to the Invictus Games opening. Now, I understand there are problems there overflying the site because of the fact it's a city, but hopefully you'll get there in some form or manner. Some form or other, uh, and also the next year is in Dusseldorf, which looks like an op a larger site, so we're hoping to be at Dusseldorf next year, but uh, we're talking to their organising committee, and at some stage, even if we uh, just turn up to the show and they show our video and things, we'll, we, we, we're going to be there in some form. 
Oh, no, that, that would be fantastic. Uh, what we're actually looking forward to do is see if maybe at the opening of the games we could do a straight and level fly past straight over the stadium or something like that, just so mm. we, weren't, uh, we weren't displaying. But at least we'd be there. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So um, the only thing that really is holding you back is uh, sponsorship. And like most uh, air display teams, I'm sure, you're always on the lookout for someone who uh, wants to take on. And, and I can't imagine uh, a more exciting and valuable uh, addition to aviation than to have uh, a fully capable uh, disabled team uh, working because it's just it's just a wonderful and heartwarming thing to do. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and you know, the heartwarming side, apart from it, you know, we want to prove the whole idea of this thing is to prove that disabled people are just as capable. We just look a little bit different. Um, uh, and certainly to be able to, to, to perform to this level, um, there is no uh, way that we can be given any sort of uh, easy ride or because we're doing exactly the same thing to the same levels. Um, and I want people to be able to look at us, both able-bodied and disabled, and think, Christ, if they can do that, well, I can do anything, you know? And Absolutely. That's, that's the idea. Um, the other side of it is to be able to, to go and talk to uh, corporates, to anybody who will listen to us about disability. I think we could offer, uh, certainly a corporate uh, company, uh, a great canvas uh, to, to both promote their brand and be aligned with uh, a, an organisation which is completely unique uh, and provides many different virtues, including uh, Indomitable spirit, uh, hard work, never say die attitude, uh, which can illustrate exactly what disabled people can do and illustrate diversity and inclusivity and uh, act as a, a, as a beacon for companies going forward. Which is a, a fantastic thing for any company, regardless of their background and, and what they're involved in. Uh, I can imagine you'd be great at uh, giving inspirational talks and uh, and I hope that there is someone out there listening who will be equally inspired as I have been to um, you know get in touch with you, uh, help you through uh, this period now when you need to do a lot of expense in the training yeah. and uh, then take reap the benefits of having you display. But I mean I think you could probably uh, end up doing things um, for private individuals uh, perhaps. Absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, who, who wouldn't want a, uh, a pair of uh, aerobatic aircraft displaying at their wedding or something? Exactly. We can do private air shows. We can do weddings. Um, we can do private shows for sponsors, uh, for corporate companies. Um, there are many, many. Um, Formula One, there are so many uh, opportunities. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Well, it sounds like a, a very exciting life ahead for you, Mike, and I, I wish you well. Thank very much indeed for talking to us today. It's been really inspiring. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Catching up with you uh, again after oh, quite a few years now. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, and uh, really appreciate you giving us your time. Well, Nick, it's lovely to see you again. Thank you very much for, for coming here and uh, taking the time to interview me. And uh, thank you very much.
Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to do so, we're going to release this video uh, out on our YouTube channel. If you've been only listening to the audio version, uh, there's a little piece on the end of that film, which obviously uh, isn't in the audio version, uh, that shows some of the flying that Mike really did that is absolutely uh, yeah. outstanding. It really is. Now, obviously, as you saw there, I mean, these things aren't free. And if you'd like to help Mike with his uh, quest to raise money and keep this amazing project going... Uh, then these are the details that you need. Mike, uh, if someone did want to get in touch with you, how would they go about that? Um, best way would be through the website, and that's teamphoenixair.com, and that's Phoenix, P-H-O-E-N-I-X, so teamphoenixair.com. Uh, my email address is there, but also you could call me on my telephone number. The UK cell number is plus four four seven nine seven three seven six two three zero one. Brilliant. Thanks. And what, what an incredible series it it's was. It's been a really great it's series, really been yeah. A good series, I well say. done. We'll, re we'll release it in full um, uh, in the coming weeks. But, now, I know uh, that Nev, I think, has been in conversation with Mike uh, in regards to coming to our 400th. Oh, wow. Oh, that would be amazing if he could um, join us there. So, so yeah. Um, yeah. So, if you haven't already expressed... Yet another good reason. To, I know. Uh, yeah, if you haven't already expressed an interest in... We have had a phenomenal uh, amount yeah. of interest in, in the show next year. Uh, 26th of February is that date. So, 26th of February, which is a Saturday. Next year is uh, our date for our live 400th show, uh, which we're going to have over at the Brooklyn's Museum. Uh, we're going to have it there in the room where Matt's showing a picture on the screen there for those of you watching in YouTube uh, on the 26th of February. So uh, if you haven't already emailed us uh, to the show to, to let us know you're going to come, uh, please do email us podcast at plaintalkinguk.com is the email to send uh, your interest into and let us know you're going to come. And also uh, one of the team will reply to you with a link as well if you haven't already booked a hotel uh, to stay at. Uh, we have got a special room rate. And, and one of the questions I was asked a, a, lot, a couple of weeks ago actually on that regards was uh, some people had found the room rate slightly different on other booking sites. Right. The big difference with the booking rate and the code that we've got for... Uh, booking with uh, through PTUK is the fact that uh, you get uh, cancellation right up until a day just in case you don't go so we can get your money back and also uh, the booking comes with a breakfast as well which some of the booking sites which I looked at I'm not going to mention any names uh, as soon as you added the breakfast on the price did go up quite a bit so if you want to email us, uh, we'll get the link sent to you if you want to book a hotel. But we're going to be there Friday, Saturday, and then uh, obviously we'll all depart our separate ways Sunday. But and of course, it's going don't, to be don't forget, there are lots of hotels around there as well. There so is, if, yeah. If I mean, I, I'm in a similar situation to a lot of people. is because, I, ironically, I probably won't be staying there myself because, it, as I say, it's an amazing place, but it's a little bit out of my budget. Well, my dad, my dad yeah. being, the, being the man he is, yes. I've just spent a week with him in Malta, but my Lovely, dad has right. booked himself, uh, and actually I looked at it, Googled it, it's a really nice hotel. It's about five minutes away in the, in yeah, the, uh, absolutely. In the car. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's... It's it's a hundred quid. Yeah, exactly, indeed. So as yeah. I say, I, I mean, you know, in an ideal world, we'll all be staying together, and as I say, we'll certainly be there at the meetup and all that kind of thing. But, but we, so. we're, we're planning lots of things on the day. We're obviously going to have a live yeah. show, and mm. we're, we're hopefully going to plan as well a big get together in the mm. evening where we're all going to sit round a rather large table, indeed, uh, drink water yes. and Coca Cola and lemonade, and okay. chat about aviation. Okay, now I've Here's just realised the time. 
Uh, and we haven't done any military yet, so we need to uh, um, go over to Armando straight away. Armando, <laughs> what's going on? I was going to, I was going to say, there's somebody in the chat room that is uh, excited to finally meet you guys in person. Megan, carry on. Never. Looking forward to meeting you too. I'll see Never you in December, Megan. Yeah, I can say you, you, yeah, yeah, you're there. So anyway, come on, let's let's do some military, shall we? All right, let's do military. Hit the button. <laughs> Okay, this first military story, we're going to do a little bit of a two-parter. It has to do with airplanes landing on things that they shouldn't be landing on. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, the first uh, story is the U.S. Marine Corps has landed its first uh, F-35s on a Japanese ship in demonstration of allied capability. Two F-35B Lightning II stealth jets. I don't know if they're really stealthy. They call them stealthy. They're pretty loud. If you've ever seen one, they're loud. Um, they landed on a Japanese naval ship earlier this month in a show of this uh, Allied Democracies Partnership and defending the sea lanes of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, aircraft from Fighter Attack Squadron 242 successfully conducted the first ever landing aboard this uh, Japanese ship Izumo following modifications to allow short takeoff and vertical landing aboard the uh, traditionally helicopter carrier. The demonstration shows that the Marines could operate the ships uh, from the ships of allied democratic nations in the event of a crisis with communist China. If you haven't been watching the news, it's a thing. Uh, it gives Japan some new capabilities some 75 years after that nation last operated an aircraft carrier. According to the Japanese Self-Defense Force, they said that this trial has proven that the Japanese ship Izumo, uh, hold off on those pictures, Matt, we're not quite there yet, um, the uh, Japanese Izumo has the capability to support takeoffs and landings from short uh, takeoff and vertical landing aircraft at sea, which will allow us to provide additional option for air defenses in the Pacific Ocean. There you go. So that's pretty cool. The F-35 continues to prove itself in other countries. And uh, I think we've been flying off the uh, British aircraft carrier. Uh, second part of the story, Matt was uh, getting ahead of himself in the pictures because he's so excited about all these military things. <laughs> uh, yes, all right. Uh, this yes. other one comes to us. And if he's uh, savvy enough with the buttons, ooh, that's a challenge. Uh, there is a good video on this. this uh, the story came ooh. from theaviationist.com. Um, the, the video is on Twitter. But this MC-130J, uh, this is Commando 2. Uh, landed on a highway in Sweden to unload the HIMARS artillery system during a special operations exercise. Uh, this uh, HIMARS system is uh, essentially a very uh, small contained uh, rocket defense system to uh, protect troops on the ground, but it's not uh, really easy to carry um, because it's a bunch of rockets. So uh, they landed on this highway and then that uh, HIMARS system was actually uh, loaded onto a Swedish C-130 uh, on the island, uh, Gotland Island. Uh, really interesting training mission that happened on 23 October. Um, there you go. Uh, so this is all in the Baltic Sea. The American Special Operations aircraft arrived over the road segment used for drills and formation with these uh, Swedish C-130 and uh, two uh, Gripens. Uh, fighter jets, which was pretty cool. So I'm sure Jonathan Warner and his buddies all have some really great pictures of that. 
the MC-130J belonged to the 67th Special Operations Squadron out of Royal Air Force Mildenhall. Um, that is part of the 352nd Special Operations Group. Carlos, you may have actually been on this aircraft. Mm, um, it is that, one yeah. of the ones that was there on the ramp when we were uh, doing the our little That was tour. awesome. Yeah, so um, there you go. You saw how big it was on the inside, and you can uh, watch the video there that Matt is playing out. If you're listening to the audio version, you can probably go find this on YouTube somewhere or on Twitter, but uh, it's a pretty big truck. Uh, fallen out of the back of a uh, MC-130 Special Operations airplane. So there you go. Uh, mission of the MC-130 is pretty much uh, low-level, uh, all-weather, all-terrain, infiltration, exfiltration, resupply of Special Operations Forces by uh, airdrops or landing in remote airfields. Uh, they can also be used for this kind of thing, which is called a forward uh, area rearming refueling point. And uh, yeah, there you go. This is what the, what the folks trained for and and perhaps there was a little bit of strategery doing this on Gotland Island because it's a, a fairly strategic point in the Baltic. So the next story is on the nationaldefensemagazine.org and uh, Air Force leader pushing for new airborne early warning aircraft. Actually, funnily enough, I saw a, a um, EC-135 today actually. Uh, flying overhead. Uh, the Air Force is uh, eyeing Boeing's E-7 wedge tail platform to relate, uh, replace its aging airborne early warning and control capabilities, a service official said on the 25th of October. Uh, General Mark Kelly, commander of Air Combat uh, Command, said the E-7 wedge tail could be the ideal solution to what he called the multi-spectral problem of updating the Air Force's current air domain surveillance capa uh, capabilities Maintaining the Air Force's fleet of E-3 Sentry AWACS will only become more difficult as the aircraft age, Kelly said during a webinar hosted by the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies. Kelly admitted that he wasn't entirely sure of when the E-7 wedge tiles could enter service with the Air Force, but said that he would have liked them in the Air Force's infantry two years ago. According to a notice on the 19th of October, the Air Force awarded a contract to Boeing for an analysis of the E-7A's cyber security spectrum allocation, open mission systems and other capabilities. The fleet of E3 sentries currently operated by the US Air Force uh, were built during the 1970s and 1980s and can conduct airborne moving target indicator or AMTI missions uh, for the force. However, the maintenance is growing more complicated and expensive as the years pass due to a limited supply of parts. When asked whether the force was considered, uh, considering options besides the E-7 from other companies, Kelly said he wasn't aware of another platform that he could be fielded in the time of the horizons that the Air Force needs. The E-7 has already entered service with the Royal Australian Air Force and the United Kingdom's Royal Air Force, announced in 2019 that it would also purchase three aircraft from Boeing. That's the Royal Air Force. Uh, meanwhile, Kelly also addresses a or addressed a, rec a request uh, for information uh, for the advanced technical trainer released by the Air Force on October the 12th, and said that he wasn't uh, also wasn't positive on the exact timeline that these planes will be fielded. The additional aircraft, along with the T-7A Red Hawks, already ordered by Boeing, will replace the T-38 Talon jet trainers. He said the Air Force needs a platform that can help bridge the gap between initial pilot training and more advanced operational level training that the Red Hawk may not be able to fill. 
He said that I need to get our aviators as soon as I can into something that's not such a relief from a 1964 T-38 to a 2021 F-35, Kelly said. Because right now, he said, I put that tactical bridge on the shoulders of our young instructors on the flight line. Wow. Now, I must, I must say that because of the position where we live here in, in East Anglia on the east coast of the UK, as well as... Um, uh, Armando knows as well but where where I spend quite a lot of the day at a particular part of the journey where I go and deliver each day is on the main arrival flight path for Mildenhall so I oh, get wow. to see uh, plenty of the AWACS aircraft flying overhead there uh, along with other stuff but um, yeah it's good news so Matt you have got uh, the next one and uh, this is awesome because this is about an aircraft that we should never have got rid of here in the UK, in my, <laughs> right. in my words. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so this is um, on the warbirdnews.com website, and the headline is Sea Harrier FA2 taxiing under its own power in the UK. So the internet was abuzz a couple of weeks ago with a video featuring a former Royal Navy BAE Sea Harrier taxiing around an airfield under its own power. While witnessing such a scene would not be so unusual in the United States, the Sea Harrier in this video was cruising around an airfield in the United Kingdom and that was indeed news. The Royal Navy retired their fleet of Sea Harriers in March 2006 with the RAF disbanding their own Harrier force in March 2011. So no British Harrier Areas of any kind have been publicly active in their home country for more than a decade. Curious, we looked into this a little bit, or this little bit of magic taking place in Britain, and that is when we connected with Chris Wilson, the proprietor of Jet Art Aviation (JAA). As Chris related, Jet Art is a veteran um, is a veteran-run UK aviation company founded in 2005 by former Royal Air Force aircraft engineer Chris Wilson and his wife Melanie. Uh, the company predominantly specialises in the supply of ex-military aircraft for museum display and educational purposes. However, as the company has evolved over the last 16 years, the quality of the aircraft within their inventory and the level of functionality has increased to where a live but not presently airworthy Sea Harrier is now available for sale. For legal insurance and liability purposes, the company does not sell aircraft into uh, in officially flight-worthy condition however there is nothing to stop a future custodian restoring one of these birds to the next level at a later date albeit at their own risk over the last nine months JAA has restored former Royal A Navy Air Sea uh, Harrier uh, Zulu Zulu Hotel 798 to the point where the aircraft is now ground runnable and will taxi under its own power this aircraft is one of five Harrier jets in the company's inventory at present four of these being single seat while one is a unique and beautiful two-seat example, a former trials aircraft resplendent in its red, white and blue livery. The, uh, the Zulu Hotel 798 project started in January 2021 when JAA dismantled and extracted three Sea Harriers from UK naval base RNAS uh, Cooldrose in Cornwall and moved them 400 miles north to Jet Art HQ for reassembly and restoration. These aircraft were formerly part of the dummy deck at the Royal Navy School of Flight Deck Operations and used to train ground crew for positioning the aircraft 
aircraft on a carrier deck. The UK's Ministry of Defence, the MOD, deposed, uh, disposed of these aircraft via competitive tender towards the end of 2020. While the bidding process was open to the public, potential purchasers had to prove that they were properly qualified, experienced and equipped to dismantle and extract the aircraft in a compliant manner. With most of the Jet Art Aviation team being ex-military aircraft engineers, that was not a problem. That being said, Storm, uh, Storm Christoph made the whole task rather too interesting this January, working outside in winter. Stripping aircraft in the most inclement conditions is not for the faint of heart. Uh, now, there's a fantastic uh, little video here and I mean it, it, it's it's a, a great um, it's a great aircraft and I know I mean we have seen them flying here in the UK haven't we actually as yeah, part we got of, rid of them all. displays I was it I want to say it was like the Hungarian or Spanish Air Force or someone like that 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 brought them over here to um, to, to we, like this, do a display we had these uh, we had these based on our carriers for quite some time in the UK and cast your mind back Matt to 2002. The Lowestoft Air Show. Oh yes, when it dropped in the sea. And yes. one of the, it, it yeah. wasn't a Sea Harry. It was a, it was a Royal Air Force. Um, it's from Twenty Squadron actually, Royal Air Force um, Harrier GR7. That um, yeah, crashed 150 yards off the beach at the Lowestoft Air Show. Yes. Yeah. yeah I was it there. Was, I was yeah. there. I was paddling in the sea. Yeah. I was literally paddling in the sea. Like, yeah. And I thought that looks really low, and it's hovering really the sea, and it stayed there for <laughs> ages and ages, and then suddenly it just went. There was just a loud bang and it dropped in the sea. Yeah, he they, he lost uh, he lost the en- or lost an engine actually when he was doing a low level um, hover that day and uh, he ejected and the aircraft went into the uh, went into the sea. But they did recover it though. They actually recovered the aircraft that day. I'm under. Well, thank you for not having the volume up, Matt, because it's a, because it's a Harrier. Yes, so we would is. we would be we would blow yeah. out everybody's speakers yeah, yeah. and earphones. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not the quietest airplane in the world. Uh, this is the, most of these efforts are run by grassroots programs where it's donations, it's enthusiasts, it's people that uh, have so personal cool. connections to these aircraft. So mm. to get an aircraft, I mean, we saw this at, at Bruntingthorpe, right? I mean, to move those aircraft and taxi them in itself without even flying them and is such an expensive endeavor. Um, but that, but that this organization has taken this on. And uh, and has this this Harrier, and they'll probably do this with it. You know, they'll probably do some demos um, here and there. But very cool, and um, congratulations to them for because I know they probably have been working very hard to to get this airplane running. I'm just amazed though. It's like it's one of those where you know, if other air forces and things are, are able to keep them in the air and and keep them working and and being yeah, in the use, Spanish. Yeah, I, I appreciate perhaps the military don't have any particular desire to have them still in their fleet, etc. But in a country that is famous for its restoration mm. of historical artifacts, I find it fascinating that one of the working ones wasn't put to one side and sort of, <laughs> you know, so that it could rock up at an air show and, yeah. and do the thing. Because, I mean, everybody loves to watch the Harrier do its dance, it's, don't it's they? I mean, it's blooming noisy, like, but it is good I don't see. care about the noise. It's, I just so love watching see. this ridiculously huge aircraft hover. And, you yeah. know, it's just the most surreal Cast thing. Cast your mind back to our last ever trip to the Farnborough Air Show, which was, blimey. It wasn't that long ago. Three or four 18? years ago, 2018? 2018, yeah. There was a Harrier display there, a single Harrier yeah. displayed there yeah, yeah. on the day. Uh, yeah, I indeed. think that's the one he's talking about. I think they were yeah. Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, uh, 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I think there's a couple private ones here in the U.S. that are still flying. And just recently, I saw an advertisement on one of the aircraft sales websites for an F-104 Starfighter from probably the late 50s that was wow, okay. airworthy and available for a cool, you know, two, three million, something like that. As you do. <laughs> As you do. Uh, right, we need to wrap up because uh, uh, we're, we're going to be late otherwise. Well, I, I don't late. do late. Never late. I don't do late. <laughs> Social media links in. If oh, oh you we're doing don't, that, are we? Okay. Don't already, if you don't already follow us, uh, we are on Facebook. Give us a like on there. We love a like on Facebook. Uh, yeah. Twitter as well. Uh, Instagram, just search for Plain Talking UK. Uh, that WhatsApp number, if you want to give us a call, or not give us a call, give us a, a message here in the studio. <laughs> give us a voice don't call. Give us a call. Give, give prank us a call. Voice call. Prank call. Yeah. Prank call. Yeah. It is plus four four seven five seven. My phone's going to ring now, isn't it? Two two four All of ours. six six. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the email address, as we said earlier, if you're interested in coming to the four hundredth show, is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com the website allaws.plaintalkinguk.com is where to go to find more information about us as a team and also there's links on there to our store where you can purchase a mug and a t-shirt that which uh, Andrew did actually didn't he yeah, over in Australia a mug, a mug and a t-shirt winging its way to Australia, to Australia speak, Andrew has yeah, ordered that they're on their way to you Andrew yeah. as we speak and hopefully they'll get to you within the next four years. Um, um, I think I think it was the I think the delivery date was between the fourth and the eighth. Yeah, of November, hopefully the T-shirt think, so, should be yeah. there. Andrew, give us a call if you're listening. Andrew, give us a call or a text or an email to let us know that they all arrive with you safely. Um, if you're on there as well, there's also the links to Patreon. Don't alarm you, but it's nine o'clock. If the <laughs> let's get the links out. <laughs> if you want to pay, join us on Patreon, you can uh, you can go, go, go. click on there and find the links to Patreon if you want hey. to become a patron of the show. I'll jump in there if you do want to become a patreon we have uh, quite the Ooh, yeah. uh, repertoire of excess baggage segments that we've been we producing do. all of yes. us um while on the road so i know i was out in flight safety uh, international which is was my recurrent i did a excess baggage from there there is one that i recorded in the airplane uh carlos recorded from his last trip that he was just talking yeah, about yeah. so um Hey, we don't we don't set a price or anything like that. It, it all goes to help uh, the show and, and help get good good uh, kit and good technology. I don't know anything about it. The, these guys usually just send me a link and say buy this, um, and uh, and maybe you get to you know see a little bit different side of us um, as we as we uh, produce some of those excess baggage uh, yeah. statements. What do we call it? Segments. Yeah. Excess baggage, yes. So, uh, if, like I said, the link is on the website if you want to become a patron of the show. As Armando said, a dollar or two dollars, whatever you've got laying down the back of your sofas or underneath the uh, mat by the back door, uh, that would be awesome. There's also a link on there to Amazon. If you do your shopping on Amazon, you can click on the link. doesn't cost you a penny, but helps to get a referral fee. And if you do listen to us as an audio podcast, which I know lots and lots of you do, uh, if you could do on iTunes, and I think a lot of the other ones do it as well leave us a review we love a review me, Matt, uh, Nev, Armando and John love to uh, to read the reviews on there so if you have got a spare five minutes of your time uh, leave us a review and a little rating on iTunes and that, that would be awesome so that's about it guys it's been a good show thanks to everyone who's uh, tuned in this evening and all the YouTube chat room people it's been great to see you all in there uh, this evening so thanks for taking time out your Friday to join us it's been good to have you alongside with us uh, tonight we will hopefully all be back 
fingers crossed. I think Nev's off next week as well, isn't he? Nev's. I'm pretty sure Nev's off next week. It's his birthday week. week. I dare say he's week. quite busy. So Nev will be <laughs> off next week. But hopefully Armando will be with us again next week on the show for more uh, more beer drinking and uh, aviation news. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, guys and girls. Take care. Have a fantastic weekend. Fly safe. And we'll leave the last word this week to Armando. Yeah, all right. Thanks, Carlos. The chat room was awesome tonight. I love uh, seeing everybody in there. And, like, everybody's just super excited about the 400th. We hope to see you in person. Y'all take care.